0: Saturday, April 3rd, 2021. I'm Steven Sierski. Episode 22. Thank you for joining me. Uh, today I have a, another Winnipeg friend. Uh, I've known this guy for 20 years, uh, or about, I can't remember. We basically first got in touch with each other back in the early 2000s. Uh, when I think he was working for the film group at the time, um, and I was a, a young, budding filmmaker, as was he at that time, too. He was making uh, some uh, some of his own productions. Uh, but that's sort of how our paths cr- uh, crossed at first. And uh, today... He now is still residing in Winnipeg, but he runs his own uh, production company or entertainment company, Zelco Productions, and we're going to be talking a lot about uh, what the film scene is like uh, to four micro-budget, low-budget filmmakers, uh, entertainment artists in general. Uh, we touch a little bit on his uh, Tinder experience, his online dating, because of uh, some of the scams that he's come across in his time, and then as it seems to be the norm these days, we also touch on the pandemic and sort of how things are turning out uh, towards the end of the conversation. So I hope you guys enjoy this. Everyone, this is David Zealous. David Zealous! Hey,
1: hey, hey! How's
0: it going? Hey, are we drinking the same brand?
2: Uh, t- oh my God.
0: Timmy's uh- That's kind of funny, isn't it? There you go. Yeah. (laughs) Um. Cheers. Um. So what? It's like eight PM, and you're at the office, aren't you?
2: Yeah. Are you? Do you you pre? No, these don't go live. You pre-record them, right? Edit them. Is that what you generally
1: do? Yeah. Sort of thought.
0: Yeah. I uh, basically. Um. I don't edit too much, though. Like basically, it's. Mostly, uh, I I try to do as little editing as possible, because mostly because I'm lazy, but also because that way, if I let it go, like I can let it be extended conversation, but then, like, if I tried to edit that, it would just take forever. Uh, so I was like, right, conversation, uh, basically unrehearsed. I mean, put it up, and this is also sort of an answer to the whole, uh, like the. The whole unfairness, I thought, with the American media uh, over the last four years where they kind of really spliced and diced a lot of the political goings on. And so I thought, you know, I I like the Joe Rogan uh, example of just having an extended extended conversation and just putting up. Although I suspect he actually edits uh, uh, some stuff. Uh, I I, I suspect there's probably a bit more editing going on there than is let on but still the vast majority of the conversation is pretty much uncut, right? So that's that's sort of what Right, happened.
2: okay, okay. I don't know. Yeah, makes sense. Well, I'll try not to uh, trip over my words too much then.
0: <laughs> uh, I don't think you will. I think you're a professional. You got this down. You're, you're in the media business after all.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, but, you know, not a personality or an actor, an on-camera type right. job, per se, so. <laughs>
0: Uh, are you ready to go? You got your microphone and everything good set up and everything?
2: I mean, yeah, it's just these headphones, so I'm I'm good to go. Um, the office was, you know, I, I don't want to show people the inside of my apartment, but yeah. uh, the office is just a white background. It's pretty easy, right?
0: That's that's fine. Uh, I'm just setting this up, making sure this doesn't go beep, beep, beep. Um, yeah, okay. You know what I might do? Let's see if I can do this again uh because sometimes uh i have issues with and you could talk to james adminson about this one about having a conversation and then can i allow to how do i make you able to record stop video make host co-host no i don't know are you able to record this as well does it give you an option uh
2: I don't think so. Like I said, I joined from the browser. So probably not. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't, uh, we tend to, for a business, we use Google meets just because we are, we, we pay for the email service for through Gmail. Right. So we can have the company name, but we use Google meets because it's free. Right. So,
0: right. I'm using the free version of zoom. I mean, it's, uh, I just,
2: yeah, I, yeah, I generally just, I have never
0: bothered to download the app. Um,
2: because I'm super lazy, I guess.
0: <laughs> uh, the app, I think, also doesn't allow you to record. I use the um, the Mac version, so the computer version. And then that way, that way, I can uh, okay, see so... it. The only thing yeah, I, is I, like... don't...
2: Mm-hmm. I don't see any... Uh... I don't see any options here, so...
0: Yeah, it's not giving yeah. me an option to let you record. Uh, just because uh, in my extended conversation with uh, James a few months ago, at the end of it, when I went to shut it down, it didn't save the interview so i have all of. oh no i have all of my audio but i have none of his audio uh so that's the worst part of it it's just like oh my god are you kidding it was a, it was a good conversation because like we went through his entire um basically his entire corpus of work uh for the last couple right, of decades right. so it was, it was an interesting conversation and then yeah i sure, fucked yeah. It up. that was disappointing disappointing to say the least um so since then I've sort of, um, I, I back it, like I have two recorders going plus my computer just in case, uh, I usually ask people to uh, record on their end as well, um, just in case, uh, in case everything craps out. So well, I
2: could, I could take a screenshot of this right now and send it to you for posterity. Uh, it won't do much, but I can send you a screenshot. I don't know. Yeah, uh,
0: I would need the audio, not so much the, um, the video at this point. Just a still image of, yeah,
2: just us looking at each other. I get it. <laughs>
0: Just like that you gotta yeah the, the the screen freeze where you have your eyes half open and you're like that,
2: well, I think generally, we had a meeting yesterday with a guy, and he would like go up and start talking, make a point, and uh, he was in Mexico, and his screen would just freeze, but he'd keep talking so you could hear him, yeah, but he would be there for like a few seconds <laughs> the same position it was
0: yeah oh yeah. Oh, that's awkward. Yeah, these uh it's it's given a new I don't know, maybe in ten years it will be a new form of uh, videography where it'll be like the uh the was what would you call it, the 2020, the millennium, the new millennium uh videography style.
2: Well it's it's weird because I mean Skype was had uh, been around for uh, fifteen years or so. I think even before the pandemic, Messenger had the ability to do this. Mm-hmm. Just that. You know, generally people don't want to meet in this style unless they have to, but uh, it's opened up things for, you know, for us, if you're starting a business, it's been very helpful Mm -hmm. um, to meet with people who are, you know, not where you are. It's been extremely helpful, actually. I
0: I would credit uh, social media, not just social media, but the video calling Skype to an extent, uh, but the the connection has always been kind of dicey, but I don't yeah. know if i if I would have been able to travel as long and as much without the ability to connect with people back home and right it's it's sort of a bizarre thing to say because I've been out of Winnipeg for so long, but um i I've still called people like you're in Winnipeg i'm I'm in Beijing, but this is just mm. one example. Uh, Ten years ago, or five years ago, ten years ago, it was Skype. It was uh, you know emails. It was pictures. I mean, uh, back then YouTube wasn't like it wasn't as easy to upload stuff. Like the connections weren't as good, so that's yeah, why Skype was sure, sort of sure. shitty. But uh, since then, I mean, it's just I can't imagine the people who went backpacking in the '70s or '80s. Like that was like when you shook hands with someone and said, "We'll see you again." You never knew. Like it, it could be years before you ever came across each other again right
2: yeah it's weird though because um you know we're all connected in some way and you might meet somebody you might work a job and you you know become friends with somebody add them on facebook and then you go up you, you know you quit that job or you know your circumstances changes and then you just never kind of talk to that person again but they're still on facebook yeah like they still exist in the world so it's interesting where I think back then, you know, and obviously we were kids back then, uh, you would just serendip- serendipitously, you know, meet with somebody 20 years later at a party or something. Uh, which, you know, it's so different now. Yeah. Um, it's,
0: anyways. Uh, but, but how many, in terms of keeping in touch with people on Facebook, I've noticed that, especially in the last couple of years, Facebook has become very particular. Very, it, It's it's filtered the people who come through my feet a lot more. Uh, well, I,
2: yeah, I don't know what it is. I, I you know, I, I have a lot of things I dislike about Facebook. Uh, I'm not going to discredit the ability and itself as a utility itself, but as a program and has how it's run, I, I really don't like, but yeah. And I don't quite understand. So no expert of course, but it's kind of like the people I think you interact with more you're more likely to see their post. Right. Um, so it's like, I I don't know. I mean, I've got 600 or so friends on there, which is probably, you know, it's a lot of people when you think about it, a lot of people in one room together. Um, and sometimes I'll be like, Oh, whatever happened to that person. I'll be like, I'm friends with them on Facebook. (laughs) So it's kind of bizarre in that. Um, and You know what I use Facebook a lot for is I don't like posting a lot of my personal stuff or any of that kind of stuff on there. I'm very hesitant to. Um, I like to shit post a lot. I think it's very funny just putting dumb random stuff on here. I'm sure you're you're familiar with my Facebook feed. (laughs) The dumb shit I put on there. Um, But we we use it in our business uh, for advertising and they are just like it is it feels like when you advertise with them and this is how they base their business model on and it's going to anybody can advertise them. So I don't know how many times I run across get rich, quick schemes, flat out scams, high profile advertisers who ads are like fucked up. Mm-hmm. Like I came across a Frito Lay ad yesterday and it was like the image wasn't showing or something stupid. Um, but we use, Facebook for advertising we have in the past, and it feels like you're kind of throwing caution into the wind. You're just like throwing money into a pit a lot of the time. And a few years ago, Facebook was uh, taken to court by a number of advertisers because when video advertising was like the big thing, uh, it still is, um, they were cooking up stats as to how many views you would get on a video because on YouTube, the way they measured is you know, how long you're watching that video. Yeah. Where Facebook is, you could see that video for a second and they would count that as a view. So they're cooking up the stats. And if you're advertising, you want people to engage with the ad, turn it into some kind of conversion. Uh, but they cooked up stats. These advertisers took them to court. This was like a few years ago, I'd say. And uh, these advertisers won. And the amount Facebook had to pay was like a clink in the bucket for them. It was like pocket change.
0: <laughs> okay. So. so then what was the issue? Was it that the Facebook was collecting the view numbers? Or were they fudging the numbers? Or what was the? Well,
2: yeah, they're fudging the numbers. They're cooking up the stats. So if you came across a video on Facebook at this time, and uh, you know how Facebook is like, you scroll up, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's it. And Twitter, I mean, Twitter, anyways, I'll get off topic here. So you scroll up, right? And so uh, probably what you do a lot of Facebook is you're scrolling endlessly and you come across an ad and you scroll by it and you're like, I don't want to see that ad. Yeah. But if you saw it for even a second, they would count that as a view. Oh, uh, okay. Right, but that's not really
0: and I, a, as I an s- advertiser, right? Right, I see what they mean, though. I think because Google got in trouble for this, I think, as well, because they weren't compensating uh, creators who would be editing their website and the ads would pop up because they were using Google AdSense, right, or whatever it is. Um, yeah, And exactly. But the, the, the editor, like the web host, the the owner of the website would be editing whatever previewing their content and this ad would pop up and they're going well this is a this has to count as a view because you're displaying ads while i'm working on it i am being exposed to this so like even if it's just for six seconds i mean you the advertiser should pay for that because you can't just talk to me and then not expect me on my website and not expect me to be compensated if you know the agreement was that once eyes are are upon your ad that you would pay a certain amount now i uh, they've changed that. I think they've, they, I think they do compensate you, but the rates are so bloody low. I mean, I think you get a, yeah, a, yeah. a, you get a fraction of a penny for, you know, that scroll, that six second scroll or something, or that, that blip that you uh, sort of go, nah, I don't like this ad anyway, or, or that preview ad. Um, I'm not sure if they qualify what's a preview ad, like if it's displaying for, uh, a, a, a admin or if it's displaying for a, a customer or um, a visitor. I don't know.
2: Uh, That's a good question. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. I know you can run certain tests and then you see kind of who's engaged in it. But I mean, you know, um, we're no marketing experts per se. So it's been a bit like it's interesting, but yeah, Facebook's very interesting that I think it's a good utility in terms of what it's intended to do um, because a lot of these social media platforms are just right with so many bad actors. It's, you know, I mean, even now I I really try hard to do what I need to do, log off or not kind of stay engaged. And I'm, it feels like I'm very voyeuristic because I'll just sit there and scroll endlessly on Facebook, mm-hmm. you know, not engage in those posts just see what everyone else is writing. And that's not like – it feels very, like, unhealthy to be doing that. Like, I don't like that. So I try to avoid that as much as I can. So what unfortunately has happened is – it's been hijacked by just like, I should say hijacked. I think they know intentionally because it brings people to the platform using it. But you like, you just, it just feels like, I don't know. Like, I don't want to sound preachy, but like kids stay off social media type thing. Right. Or, you know, go in there Mm -hmm. for, uh, you know, what you need it for and then get out. Because you don't want to be stuck in something like Facebook, uh, arguing about some political nonsense with some random stranger for three hours, right? But that's what it sucks you into,
0: right? Yep, and I don't think Facebook discourages that, although they say they do. They're like, you know what? This is fine. I mean, it's again sells advertising. It gets you know it gives the gets their numbers up. But yeah, I, I, I completely understand. I I don't know if that's changed for other people. I know for me that I try not to do that as much to engage uh in mm-hmm. that sort of debate back and forth it's it's useless um I, actually i shouldn't say it's yeah. useless it's not as effective as some other forms but that being the case what else could it be like how else do you discuss those ideas like mean does do these people have to get their own blog their own podcast their own video feed i mean or how do how do you actually discuss these ideas so that you know people uh, you know, gain a better understanding of the situation? Yeah, it's a
2: good question. Um, I, I don't know. I think it's like the internet is free at the end of the day, right? Everybody can use the internet. Um, and these social media platforms, they all plagiarize each other. You know, Twitch was a thing that had live streaming. Facebook has live streaming a year or two later. Now they're not going to go after each other because you can't copyright these ideas. Mm-hmm. But they all copy each other. The idea of endless scrolling, I think, uh, was started with Twitter, I believe. You know, you just kind of are going up. And I mean, Twitter, in terms of politics, is probably the worst offender for that. (laughs) Um, So, you know, they all kind of copy from each other. So it's like, I think, you know, argue with a random stranger via text, where sometimes what you say might come off as passive aggressive, you might not attend it that way. So it's very, um, you're not seeing the viewpoint of the person because you're not seeing them face-to-face. So I think that's kind of like part of the problem right there. Um, So there's that. So it's like, you know, you can't exactly tell people, like, if you, wherever you live, and I would assume in Beijing there is a Walmart or something the equivalent of that, Um, so it's hard to tell people, especially on the internet, you know, everyone's, you know, everyone's going to shop at Walmart because it's close to them. It's cheap, whatever. Right. Everyone's going to go to Facebook because all their friends are there, especially an older generation. I find, um, we're kind of, I think in between, you know, people enjoying (laughs) Facebook and other platforms.
0: Yeah. I think what it was, uh, what it was described to me was that Facebook is for old people. And then I realized that they were talking about us. We are the old people. We yeah. became the old people on Facebook because that's what we were using 10, 15 years ago. 2007, I think I started. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean that sounds right. That, that is sort of like, yeah, that's that's a, half a generation of using Facebook to communicate and keep in touch with people.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, you can tell people there's a Walmart, but maybe there's a bunch of other local kind of businesses and they sell groceries they sell produce they sell things right and maybe they're a bit more locally sourced so it's like a better kind of buying experience Mm -hmm. right so it's like i think you got to treat the internet the same way like it's funny you know we were talking on messenger and my Facebook's still logged in at the moment um but there are uh, a number of other sites that you know we can all go visit we can all communicate with each other um not that I've written a letter to anybody in a long time, but I had a friend in college and we would write letters back and forth to each other. Yeah. And she was like a really great artist. I still have these letters. Um. So she would like draw like her doodles in the letters. Like that was really cool. Right. You don't quite get these experiences on social media. I don't believe. Um, but I, I yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, we use them for our business quite a bit. Um, but I find that if, I am not using them for that purposes and I'm getting sucked in. I feel like part of me is just being drained into this yeah. void of what, whatever you want to call it. People yelling at each other or, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, first of all, these social media platforms, you know, it's about the bottom line, right? So it's about making money. So they don't care if two people are going at it yeah. for whatever reason, right? It's They're selling advertisers. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Engagement, people are on their platforms so they don't care uh at the end of the day um and they don't bother to kind of moderate that either and i know that you know you can start groups and you can moderate stuff and all that kind of stuff but i've created a few groups here on facebook and then uh you know if i stopped paying attention to them you would just have these random catfish accounts show up in these groups so facebook is very bad at controlling a lot of these bad actors again and i think
0: they don't pure they don't not purify purge like it's yeah i i one of my pages gets spammed all the time and it's just like yeah. are these people it's, it's these are all fake accounts
2: yeah so i mean we got to realize that the internet is free um you know i'm guilty of this too um but we should know that there's other websites and there's other places to you know i think interact with each other um you know, I haven't used it yet, but I think Discord, even though it's being bought by Microsoft, I think that's an example of how we can kind of interact with each other. It's one you, site that I've heard.
0: Have you used Discord yet? I haven't. I, I have, I, I have not. Familiar, media. <laughs>
2: yeah, I, I have not, but I'm I'm familiar with it and kind of what it does. Um, but I think that's a thing, right? I was talking to the filmmakers we work with, and she was like, oh, my daughter's big on this thing called bigo i'm like i've never heard of this what is this right bigo so i look yeah bigo so i look it up it's just it's like a twitch uh i wouldn't call it a clone but it's like a twitch like service you know where people are live streaming video games and stuff like that um but the internet's still free i mean that's not really regulated so and then yeah i think we just have to kind of realize that and yeah I mean, I do interact a lot with people on Facebook, but try to limit my time on there. And I get very frustrated with trying to work with it as, uh, you know, as our company might try to advertise something or put a social media post or it changes something on the program. I can get very frustrated with that.
0: Does it work for your uh, your business needs?
2: Uh, (laughs) It's a bit of a loaded question.
1: Um, I mean, just
0: in general, because I mean, personally, you might not interact with it as much, but as a business, you might find that it's very effective. Uh, And I know that Facebook advertising, I don't know if they have a revenue sharing agreement with uh, advertisers uh, or with like um, pages and stuff like that. I think you have to be a certain level of uh, engagement or subscribers. But uh, yeah,
2: no, I know what you're talking about there. It's um, if you were a page or a creator that had a lot of engagement or a lot of followers. Um, They have uh, like what YouTube does with a partner type program, Um, but we're coming at strictly as like we are advertising product Mm -hmm. and um, the conversion, you know, it's uh, we've had ads that have done well, like as an ad according to them, but then the conversion is another story altogether.
0: Right. Can I ask what the conversion is? (laughs) Um, Well, you know,
2: I, I could give you, I couldn't say the conversion of this exactly because there's different campaigns, right? Yeah. Um, so just to clarify, I don't know if I was supposed to say this, but like uh, I was a business partner. We run a film distribution company here. So, right. So, so I don't know if that was a I'm supposed to introduce myself at any point. Here.
0: <laughs> well, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do have an introduction, basically. I mean, so you are one half of Zelco, Because when I was actually, uh, when I was Googling your name, uh, have you ever Googled your name before?
2: Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, of course. It's a it's a unique name, right? So of course I have.
0: So here, through the connection I have, some David Zealous, a lawyer in, I think it was Kansas City, showed up, or Atlanta, and I'm like... That's not the name Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. <laughs> like, well, wait a minute. Maybe he is a lawyer and maybe I just have it wrong. I mean, who knows? I mean, you. we haven't seen each other in a while. Who knows? Uh, film production uh, no, lawyer.
2: No. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not a lawyer. I've thought about uh, pursuing it at some points in my life. But uh, yeah, I have talked to the other David Zellis in the world. He is a, uh, I think, assistant district attorney or district attorney in Buckstown, Pennsylvania, which I believe is close to Philadelphia. So
0: really, why did you talk? Yeah, to him? I, I
2: uh, we've got the same name. Uh, this was years ago. I said, yeah, yeah. "Hey, you know, we've got the same name." You know, I'm just wondering, um, you know, when where that came from. And he said, as far as he knew, and this is interesting. He is of uh, Jewish descent. I'm not, um, but he said that uh, when his Ancestors came from Poland, so I've got you know Polish in my heritage and Ukrainian, Mm a bunch of other Eastern European uh, nationalities. But he said that the Zealous came from Ellis Island,
0: Ellis Island, well, like in New York,
2: New York, where all the immigrants uh, had come
0: over, uh, right? Well, that's where the boat landed,
2: right? So that's where he. Mm-hmm. believed he you know the other david zells believed his name had come from uh, but my dad recently was kind of looking into our history and um that uh our name before when we came or like so would have been my great grandfather came to canada to manitoba i believe the farm uh was zelosh like z-e-l-l-o-c-h i believe
0: oh, okay yeah, yeah so it
2: probably just got changed over time right
0: yeah, that, that happened to my name as well. Our name was, uh, like the Sirski name was spelt differently in Ukrainian. And then, like the story yeah. goes that when uh, my grandfather came over, the the immigration official didn't know how to transliterate the Cyrillic into English. So the way that my name is spelt now is the Polish version, S-K-I, but the Ukrainian mm. version is with a Y-J. And, I mean, it's a very simple distinction, but my, my family... Uh, descends from like the western part of Ukraine. And I'm sure you you are aware of the Ukrainian community in Winnipeg. That's where a lot yes. of the Ukrainians come from, is from that western part, like around Lviv, view, uh, the Carpathians, mm-hmm. that area. And that's why there is such a division when you mention the word Russia or Russian or Russian culture, Soviet culture, like there's a massive divide because the those Ukrainians were basically fleeing or leaving Ukraine to get away from what was happening uh, in the country 80, 100 years ago.
2: Now, I'm not going to ask you to say Mountains, because my dad told me the part of the Ukraine, I think is the same. And it's the part that is uh, borders uh, on Poland, right? Uh,
0: yeah. Poland. Uh, what's yeah. the other one? Hungary, uh, Austria. There's um, the, like that whole Western part of Ukraine has been tossed back and forth so many times throughout history. It's, uh, um, when I was in Ukraine a couple of years ago, a few years ago at this point, I was looking for an old cemetery that had old Ruthenian uh, names and languages or language um, that was supposed to be part of my lineage. Um, and yeah, the, the the librarians in Poland knew of the name like the Sursky name but they're like i mean it's any number i mean you're it's it's not a a common name but it's this sounds like we could find where it is and they did find it eventually and it was allied to some 12th century feudal uh area in southeastern poland at the time (laughs) but that was the the polish spelling not the ukrainian spelling and i Like my family has always been very proudly Ukrainian, not Polish. Uh, So, Mm -hmm. and, and the Polish have have been, have had a different history with Ukraine because as much as they are sort of similar, the Polish royalty has always, I shouldn't say always, they have had incursions into the Ukrainian territory, much the same way that the Russians have had incursions into Ukrainian territory. So Ukraine's always been that sort of battleground for East versus West in uh, the, in the Slavic block, basically.
2: Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so answer your question. Uh, yeah. There's another David also out there who I'm talking
0: to. <laughs> was he amiable to the conversation? He's like, Oh yeah, that's neat. You're so you do what in Winnipeg? Was he actually interested?
2: Uh, You know, this was a long time ago, but I mean, he was, I never really followed up, but he was, uh, yeah, he was fairly uh, affable fellow and yeah. friendly. So, um, and I mean, you know, I kind of will look at what he's doing and it seems like in terms of, uh, his career, he seems he's been fairly successful. So,
0: yeah, he has and a, uh, he, he turns out top at the the Google search. So, um, he's got to be doing something, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously fairly high profile, um, position that he's in, I would imagine, but, uh, yeah, I've never followed up, but I know that I'd say he's obviously a bit older than me. he has kids. I think he would be a bit younger than I would be, so. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, he, he's like in his 50s or 60s, I don't know. I didn't do too much yeah, research into it. I was like, okay, do yeah, not don't the know. David I, I, just, I was looking for.
2: <laughs> I think I went down a, a rabbit hole one day and uh, his daughter had given a TED Talk at uh, some university in New York. I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting. So ended up watching it.
0: Ah, right. What was the TED Talk about?
2: Um... Uh, I don't recall. I'm, I'm hopefully I'm not. recall i am hopefully uh, i am do not quite recall, but it was. It's how we treat uh, other people who might have a certain disability.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I don't know what the topic was per se, but you know it was interesting. Is uh, she was fairly well spoken, but she started talking about, you know, she was on a bus, and then of course somebody comes on and they're in a wheelchair, and then everyone's upset because that person comes on with a wheelchair because. Now their time has been inconvenienced, but Uh, let's be real, you know, this person probably never asked to be in that position in the first place. So maybe we should be a bit more compassionate, you know, situations like this or learn to be.
0: Yeah. To, to understand that. Yeah. Maybe this person just needs the time and maybe they're in a rush, but we don't know.
2: Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, I was, it was pretty interesting. Anyways, went down a bit of a rabbit hole, um, But yeah, it's just a weird coincidence. I don't think we're actually related or family name. It's just the change of the name and we're two guys with the same name now. (laughs) That's
0: pretty neat. (laughs) Well, one of the, speaking of rabbit holes, one of the reasons why um, uh, I I sort of went the David Zealous Google route uh, is because I tried to Google Zelco Productions, which is your production company, but I misspelled it. And I didn't know I had misspelled it because I assumed that it was with one L, Z-E-L-C-O. It is not. It's is okay. with two two right. Okay. And so yep. with one L, not only in Google, but then also on YouTube, very different research uh, uh, search results come up. I can't remember what it was on YouTube. Um, so that was where I sort of went, okay, I'll, I'll try a different uh, approach here. But Zell Co-Productions, Z-E-L-L-C-O, is your production company. Yes. And so this is the one that you are, uh, who are you partner with?
2: Okay, so uh, my partner is Craig Gabosh, who is an uh, editor, um, filmmaker, uh, mostly editor post-production visual effects who uh, has been around in Winnipeg a long time in the community, and we've known each other a long time. Um, so we started kind of working together 2013, 2014. Uh, we ended up making a, a feature-length film one of these things where it was crowdfunded, um, I want to say you were one of the backers to the crowdfunding, but I could be wrong on that. I'm not sure.
0: I can't remember that uh, was 2013, yeah. how much money did I have back then? Probably not very much.
2: <laughs> well, maybe not, but I should give you a copy on DVD or Blu ray or something. Was that um, but Dark yeah, so Forest? We, Dark Forest, Dark yeah, Forest, that's right. Yeah,
0: I think I was. Yes, uh, I think I gave 50 bucks if I remember correctly, but I might just be trying to make myself look good at the moment. <laughs>
2: Well, you know what, uh, send me your address. I'll send you a copy regardless. So. <laughs>
0: sure. <laughs> uh, but uh, but that, that was Dark that. Forest. Uh, I do remember Dark Forest because this was uh, one of the big uh, sort of celebrations of Winnipeg at the time because this was, a, I guess, uh, it was a major production of sorts. I mean, it was a big Winnipeg production at that time.
2: Um, well, I mean, big in terms of maybe the micro budget comes for being made at the time. Um,
0: the people that I knew uh, yeah. were going, yeah, This, this. they're talking about this film. But I mean, at the, I, I I, guess we do share a bit of a friend circle. I bet you're a bit more into the film circle right. than I am at yeah, this moment, especially. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I remember Dark Forest being promoted as, you know, support this film. It's a, you know, it's a, we're making it, we're making a feature, which is not something right, a right. lot of low budget filmmakers get to do. So you were taking that jump.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, we've made it. Um... And we had finished it in 2015. Um, and then from there, this is kind of how the company came to be. We were just looking ways for to finish it, really, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we kind of, well, I had a company incorporated at that point. And it's interesting how a company can develop because we did go and we did get kind of a fin- a financing from what was called, I forget what they're called. I think the youth business coalition or something, but they're called futurepreneur now. Right. So we got some, we got some funding from them that helped us to kind of finish dark forest. And uh, from there we went to the American film market. This was our first experience, like actually going to a film market. Yeah. Um, And we, you know, not knowing kind of how to navigate a market, we didn't end up with any sales. Unfortunately, so we come back. So with 2014, we go to the market because the film was done at that point. And then 2015, we come back here. We end up kind of doing a lot of the distribution on our own, really. Um, so the fact that it had theatrical release was just like our efforts. Uh, basically, Craig could do all the technical stuff. And so making the file they need for the theaters, the DCP, you know, he was able to do that. And then just us kind of contacting the theater, hey... Uh, are you interested? And then we had a few other engagements in 2015, just like uh, theatrical. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, we did find a distributor in Los Angeles. They put it on kind of all the streaming platforms. And then from there, we did want to support the backers, even though it was a few years later. Uh, again, Craig wanted to do this. We made the Blu-ray and DVD copy. we we'll actually show you here. So this is what the... Oh, there you go. Blu-ray looks like. And so, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Craig is responsible. This is the idea. Craig's obviously not here as a business partner, but Craig did the poster design for this. And I'll show you the back there. Okay. So you can kind of see that um, eight commentaries, all that stuff. That was pretty much all Craig's doing. Like he was able to do that. And so this is like, I think with 2018 and you know, I'd say we were a production company still back then, not that we aren't a production company anymore. Um, but what we were really trying to, we're struggling with is like just trying to get the money in to make any of these projects
1: you know, <laughs> yeah, we to, I
2: yeah i know i know it's always a struggle um but we you know we made some short documentaries we you know we're doing things but that kind of project like whether it be a tv series or a feature film or you know a documentary or something substantial right we were certainly developing that stuff but trying to actually just secure the finances you know, it became very difficult So we were, we constantly talking, you know, what we were talking about and we had some done distribution in the past for dark forest is, you know, um, how do these films get on these platforms and how do people find out about them? This is something we're constantly talking about is the marketing of films themselves. So in 2018, um, we went to the Toronto film festival, which I had been to a few times before, uh, and we just kind of met, you know, other filmmakers there and stuff like that. And here in Winnipeg, and I know you, we have the same circle of friends, obviously, but there's a lot of films that would get made here in Winnipeg. They get shown once or twice. And then they have a screening. And that's it, right? You know, you don't know where they go. So obviously, I worked at a film co-op years ago uh, here in Winnipeg.
0: Are you still uh, working Winnipeg for them?
2: Uh, no. I- I mean, okay. I quit there in 2005. I was at the AGM recently. so Yeah, right. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm not as involved as I was when I was a staff member there. Right. Um, although, you know, I think they're an important part of our community here. So uh, anyways, we, I just, we started reaching out to some of these filmmakers, people when they knew if they had a short film, if they had a feature. And so we started putting them up on, uh, at the time, Amazon Prime. And so since then, um, you know, we've become a distribution company, uh, and we're constantly reaching out to filmmakers and a lot of kind of the stuff we're doing now, uh, has kind of just evolved from conversations we've had, um, particularly one thing we are trying to do, it's a lot of work and I think it is going to pay off. It's going to take a little bit of time, but I think we're getting there is, um, you know, obviously the films we were taking a lot of micro-budget stuff, friends of ours had made these low-budget films. You know, they had the elements. Everything was ready to go. Um, and even some producers we talked to, you know, established producers here in the city is like, oh, yeah, I just got this movie on a hard drive at home. I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> right? It's like, okay. <laughs> so, you know, uh, you know, Craig and I, I think, both can try to handle the sales aspects of things. Craig can really handle the um, technical aspects of things. So, one of our kind of conversations we had was with Telefilm, and this just blows my mind how this conversation went. We called them, we're trying to get this film finished, and I won't get into too much details about this, we're just trying to get this film finished, right? We didn't get the money to finish it. And uh, we called Telefilm up and we a conversation because uh, as much as I might, you know, have issues with a lot of these organizations, um, you know, people work there, and they're nice people, and they're doing their jobs, right? It's generally the institution, not the people at
0: the institution. They That's have a mandate, on. and the people on on the ground, you, they still have, you know, there's still people that you have to deal with. They're they're fellow filmmakers, yeah. right?
1: They're
2: uh, well, I mean, for Telefilm, I mean, they're mostly arts administrators, is my understanding, but they're people, right? <laughs> right? So treat everybody with respect, right? So, anyways, we were talking to the gentleman at Telefilm, and we're just talking about. You know, there's all these films and, you know, they just disappear and no one ever hears of them, it's particularly here in this country, I believe. Um, and he was like, oh, you know, uh, anybody who got telefilm funding, uh, they have to take their films to the archives so that archives have a copy, right? Yes. We're like, okay, we had no idea. And uh, from there, we, we've developed a list and we are very slowly going through and talking to filmmakers from all decades. And uh, some we've secured, some we're just working on certain aspects of, you know, a technical thing or whatever the case might be, or trying to get a festival on board. Hey, do a retrospective screening of this film. Um, But we've been slowly going through this, talking to the rights holders. Um, You know, this is what we do. We come in a way of like... Almost like a sales agent would go out there and just take a commission, right? So yeah. they still own the film. We're not taking the rights over or anything like that. So it's a bit more um, agreeable to uh, somebody. Um, and I think we're very upfront with them, very transparent. You know, we might not have money to market. We suggest you try to do some. You know, and uh, we've—I wouldn't say like not everybody we've talked to has said, "Yeah, take my film from the '70s or the '80s or whatever." Um, but we've had some pretty interesting conversations with these filmmakers. Uh, and it's unfortunate to say that a lot of conversations are the same that, you know, the frustrations we have now, why isn't my film getting seen? Um, I think it's the big one. Why is there not enough support? Uh, is the same from filmmakers way back then, which is very interesting to me.
0: Well, when... Sometimes when I hear that, that conversation, why is it my film being seen? Because I, I have this too as being a creative type, you know, maybe your film just isn't good enough or maybe you're not <laughs> doing the right thing. I mean, why is my band not being seen by people? Well, th- there's a couple of reasons. First, you might suck. Number two, you might not be marketing properly. Number three, you might be in the wrong place. And I suspect, that, especially with Winnipeg being so isolated as it is, uh, yeah, and I, I come from a much more of a musical background. Although I guess when we met back to like early two thousands, uh, I was a bit more involved in the film uh, community as well, but more from the university side rather than from the f- uh, film film group side of things. But right, right. The one of the envies I know that uh, I think at least I had as a musician in the Winnipeg music scene was that we couldn't play anywhere. I mean, it was the Albert yeah. the zoo. Uh, maybe, you know, if we, if we played the pyramid cabaret, that was sort of seen like as a, uh, a, as a milestone, like then we made it in the bar culture of some sort after, if you could sell at the pyramid cabaret, then it was like, then you can move up to like doing your own show at one of the, the, the larger venues. But like in mm-hmm. terms of, you know, a, a, a tour, I mean, where are you going to go play boards of the prairie? Okay. Brandon, okay. I mean, they're an hour and a half each, but I mean, it's not like the, the group is any, like the, the crowd's not going to be any bigger. No one's going to know you. Um, and again, this yeah. is all before the internet w- made it, I think, a lot easier. But sure. full respect to the bands that did make it across Canada, like Our Lady Peace, Tea Party. uh, Like, who was the, the other one? Like, there was a, a bunch that came from well, like, a lot of- that Kingston Corridor, that Ottawa to uh, oh, right. Kingston Corridor. But they had that setup where you could go from town to town, the university towns, and play to a you know a couple hundred people that were drinking on uh, on a Thursday night or a Wednesday night. Winnipeg, no one was drinking on a Wednesday night. It was it was you and the local drunk.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And to your point, like kind of like you know why doesn't this sell? Uh, first, does the thing suck? I think art's subjective, so that's really hard to say, because something you might like, I might not like. So that's hard to say, but the other two I agree with uh, 100%. Um, you know, are you marketing properly? Yeah. And you can market uh, something well and still not get the results you've desired. I mean, unfortunately, I say it is. And the other thing, yeah, it's a bit of luck as well, too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's no kind of avoiding that. Um, and it's interesting because now we've got kind of built this catalog of titles. And I'm just trying to think, the titles that are available now, well, there's one we're trying to do some different things with, but uh, it's like an older title from 91, um, which it was like this weird film that had like all this lore surrounding it. And what then we 26? just talked with film. Uh, it's this movie. It was a comedy <clears throat> made in 1991 called Smoked Lizard Lips. Okay. Um, and it's it's an interesting film, um, but the uh, it, the concept is, um, America has this South uh, American dictator and they don't know what to do with this dictator. So they put this dictator in a small Manitoba town. <laughs> right. And so this dictator um, <laughs> basically divides and conquers the town, right? It's, it's very weirdly relevant today. It's, it's, it's an interesting movie. Um, and this isn't released yet because uh,
0: no, I'm not seeing it on the website here.
2: We had it up at a virtual cinema through Dauphin, like one of the theaters here. Right. Um, Because with the pandemic, some of them doing virtual cinemas. And I mean, we just know the theater owner. and He's been very generous with what we're doing so far. So I just said to him, Hey, can we just run this for a few weeks? Uh, And we did, we got some attention from it. Like some other film festivals were asking about it. It was very interesting. Um, But like, that's kind of the older uh, title in our catalog is that one. So we've got like all these, titles in our catalog now and it's interesting that you know what one does better than the others and you know there's a saying nobody knows nothing in this business which i think is very true um, but I think the ones that have done better from what I' noticed is so simple and so easy really for filmmakers to do this is they have uh, at least at the most a decent poster like mm-hmm. the posters eye-catching and they have a trailer. That's you it? Know?
0: That's the key to success Is in it. the film industry?
2: Uh, yeah, no, it's not that simple. <laughs> but I'm just saying the ones that kind of do better for us at least have those kind of elements in place. And that's the one thing I've noticed. Um,
0: and well, I'm, some I'm other look, things, you know, might be... I'm, yeah, I'm looking at these the, these posters online because uh, you have a bunch of them listed. Uh, right. and I'm actually mm-hmm. impressed with how many... Uh, names you actually have on your website uh, and that you're looking at these posters, you're going, yeah, this looks proper. I mean, these all look good. I mean, I've clicked through uh, quite a few of them. Um, some of them I recognize, some of them I've never seen before. Uh, but yeah, I sure, can see right. what you mean yeah, by, you know, the poster is very important and you need that sort of Hollywood treatment of a poster. You can't have just sort of something yes. that, that you threw together like, oh, look at that. I, I, I have a phone. I can take a picture and, you know, do this. Or back in the day, it was like, oh, I can make that myself it's sometimes good to have a graphic designer do do the proper work to to get it done
2: yeah i'd agree and i think that um like the thing the way we work is we are putting it on a shelf for these filmmakers and we're doing what we can to aid their promotion yeah um but yeah i agree with you because i mean you can take a look and see some of the posters are you know um better than others i would say um, and the ones that have, you know, pretty solid posters tend to do well because if you think about it, you know, you can sell a film with cast. That's generally how a lot of films get sold. Then, if you don't have that, you've really got to make the packaging look as good as possible because what's the next thing you can do? I mean, with social media, and we're talking about Facebook and advertising, the is that is, how many people are going to these websites and not seeing it or buried by you know, a McDonald's ad, right? Yeah. If you do decide to advertise on it. So just like those little things and, um, you know, sometimes it helps to kind of just change it up, remind people that the films out there. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's definitely, it it sounds simple and I wouldn't say it's like, that's the solution. Do this and everything will fall (laughs) into place, but you, you should have the mindset of, you know, uh, I'm going to get somebody to do a decent poster And I'm going to have a decent trailer, um, you know, that, you know, when we get trailers, we'll put them on our YouTube channel. And, you know, uh, sometimes we advertise our trailers on YouTube and, you know, I I find that's kind of our most effective advertising is actually advertising the stuff on YouTube because it's a video, yeah. right? And you're advertising like motion picture, right?
0: Well, also YouTube has changed again, their uh, advertising scheme in that they sort of force you to watch, these trailers sometimes have you in your, in your YouTube advertising, are you doing those six second clips? Like the ones that say your video will play after six seconds and it's like a six second clip. That's all It's usually for a product or some sort of quick message. But I mean, you can't click through it and you have to watch it.
2: Yeah, no, that's comes at a higher price tier generally. So we haven't been doing that per se. Yeah. That's just what it boils down to. Um, the more kind of ads that are more i would say noticeable or kind of what was a big thing in advertising now is called retargeting so you know if you're seeing the ads for the same thing in the same day you might not notice it but they're retargeting that ad to you based on maybe who you are but what you're doing yeah what your activity is online but uh yeah that just comes at a higher price tier um like to have the non-skippable ads. Um,
0: how much more? But, I mean, in terms of... <laughs> that much more?
2: Yeah, well, it's all based on click per minute, too. So it's kind of like you set the price. And uh, I, I don't know what it is, but I know you can just go, okay, I want to pay for this. And usually it's like, well, oh, okay, I can't afford that. So we'll just leave <laughs> it for the time being.
0: Uh, in general, how much do you guys spend on your marketing? Uh, I mean, because I the filmmakers are going to listen to this. They're going to be like, I need to know this information. How much should I be budgeting? I think before I was making movies, it was 50% of your production budget should be spent on marketing.
2: Yeah, that's pretty fair. Um, But you know, sometimes these budgets are, you know, 2000. But sometimes they're, you know, like the micro budget stuff is a lot of stuff we're working with. Um, The one thing I would say, like, I don't, I always want to do the hacks. I'm not a marketing expert. Like we are experimenting a lot with this stuff. We've been talking to marketing companies, which we may end up working with, yeah, and to kind of give them the materials and rely on their expertise. Um, but I would say put a bit aside to your. So it's all dependent on budget, right? So, you know, filmmakers out there might be like, I don't have any money. I have a camera. I'm going out and shoot it but I've got no b- money for marketing. I, okay, I'll go back to this because I think it's a good thing. So when we did the Theatrical for Dark Forest, I was in Toronto. I made a point of talking to the guy at Landmark Cinema because it played at the Landmark Cinema who did the bookings for all the theaters. So, so I'm going to book these films in these theaters. Yeah. So I met with him, uh, you know, he was close to retirement. But the one thing he said to me really stuck in his mind, he says, you know, sometimes what we see with these movies and it could be big Hollywood budget movies is they'll put money into the marketing and it doesn't make a difference. Right. So um, always keep that in the back of your head. Now that's to say you shouldn't spend stuff on marketing. If I was to say anything, you know, if you are close to somebody who is actual uh, a commerce student or has done marketing in the past, or advertising pick their brain about that stuff because they're knowledgeable Mm -hmm. because films aren't like um selling hamburgers right it's not like selling a hamburger to you right you're gonna eat a hamburger you're gonna like it based on taste and all this stuff but people are gonna eat right yeah you know people need to eat not hamburgers per se but you know sustenance right but this is like you are selling a form of entertainment that people are inundated with choices out there already, right? Yeah. So I think when you are, I know they say, oh, know your audiences and stuff like that. And I, I sometimes parrot, find myself parroting that stuff. And it's like, okay, sure, to some degree. You know, it helps to know kind of what your audience does, but that's very hard. You have to have like lots of data and like lots of resources to find that information but i think it's important to kind of know um what makes this attractive to consumer what is going to you know watching this is going to give the person that say buys it on itunes takes the time to watch it on amazon you know what what is their experience going to be like are they going to enjoy watching this hour and a half movie and why is that so you need to kind of ask those questions to yourself because i think I mean, you said Winnipeg's insular. I think just the film industry in whole is very insular, right? Um, I tend to watch a lot of YouTube content. So do I. That's Hungarian. my main source right. now
0: is YouTube. It's all YouTube clips. Six minutes to 15 minutes, I've noticed.
2: Right. So I, I like it. I watch, like watching this, uh, what's what they call the commentary community, where they talk about a number of things. And there's some very interesting channels out there that are, like, I would call them like documentaries documentarians basically is what they're doing but they're just publishing this stuff to youtube so to me like i like watching that stuff and it seems to me like you know they have this weird advantage where they can talk directly to their audience you know oh thank you for watching like all that stuff and you know when we make these movies it becomes very insular and you know i'm on these various filmmaking groups and it seems like we're just marketing to other filmmakers, which is like, well, it's not what you want to be doing, right? Right. But that's what we end up doing. As <laughs> we're all guilty of it. It's like, oh, watch my film. But it's like, you know, I know you're a filmmaker. I know I'm a filmmaker. I'm going home. I'm watching, you know, Captain uh, Captain America, you know, yep. whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'm watching that because like I want to be entertained, right? So I, you know, I think as a filmmaker, you gotta kinda ask the questions and then You've got to realize, especially because we're working with micro-budget filmmakers, there's lots of prejudice against something that's not like a certain way, right? Um, and sometimes with micro-budget films, it might be, you know, maybe sometimes the dialogue's a bit stilted, or you know, you just got to realize it's not perfect. So I think you have to sell yourself a bit too, and just come to terms with um, the shortcomings of the film sometime. Yeah. Um, not to say that you should say, oh, this film's bad. Don't say that, obviously, but. You know, if there's things you're like, you know, I I was trying to get this across. I really like this. These are some things I've learned from, you know, I think that's good to put yourself out there. I know there's a film we're putting out there. uh, We're going to be putting out pretty soon. It's micro budget, but I think it's pretty well done. Um, And we talked to the filmmaker and this is, I think the first conversation, I shouldn't say we've had conversations, but he was very keen to be like, yeah, I do want people to see this film. Um... So I think that helps too, right? And the thing is, you know, if you're working with a company like us, we want it to be successful as well. Um, so I go it in a way of, you know, I, if there's something I don't see and something that they do, we can learn from, I think that's beneficial as well.
0: How often does that happen though, where you see something you're like, I don't, I don't see what you're trying to do, but the filmmaker's like, this is it.
2: Um, I don't really judge it on the work itself, but I mean maybe you're talking, I think, more so about the marketing. Right. Um, yeah, and I, you know, um, if anything, I would tell the filmmakers, I think they do do, you know, they are out there getting their kind of stuff in the marketing ways. I would tell them, I think you guys need to be more aggressive um, in terms of just getting out there. Like, not spamming, per se, but yeah. more aggressive in terms of your interactions with people online right
0: having a bit more of an objective look at your film and i think that's one of the hardest thing for uh, artists in general like musicians mm-hmm. and filmmakers because we get so personal about it because the production yeah what you, when you see the movie someone goes okay that's 90 minutes great good you know back onto uh, facebook maybe tweet about it whatever but then it's sort of kind of glosses over the six year development process, you know, where I was sitting in university classes, like oh, I have this idea for a movie and this is what I, I had to go through a breakup to get the script out. You know, the whole development process you have to detach yourself from and then go, this is actually worth your time to sit down and watch it. You will actually enjoy this. Um, it's hard to do that yeah. as, as a creative type.
2: Exactly. And I think that's a, that's a very good point. Like when, when the films come in, We watch them. We generally don't, when we have this filmmakers. we don't go say, oh, I love your film or, oh, I hate your film or anything like that, so long as it's...
0: (laughs)
1: Welcome.
2: um, I I
0: hate your film. Sorry, we can't market it, but...
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, we we don't have, like, um, I think i climb out as I anticipated, but when we watch the films, we don't kind of, uh, how do I say this? We watch them based on uh, more of a marketability beef. Markability factor yeah then more so of we know the film is done we believe that you as um, a person who's created this are the best salesperson for it at the end of the day you know and we can help you in terms of that process but you are the best person kind of pitching that to places and people um and it helps to you know, there's so many things. You could go on Reddit. You could say, "I've made this film. What do you guys think?" You might get a few assholes. You might get a few trolls, but just roll over. You probably will. Them,
0: and you got to deal with them. Move
2: on. Right. But if somebody takes your time and, and say, "You know, I liked it," and I didn't, I liked this about it. I didn't like this. Just be very grateful because for us, it's you know we're selling it. So the viewers or the people watching it or the people watching all the way through, that's yeah. important.
0: Right? Oh yeah. They, so, they spent their time. That's the, probably the most valuable thing they have.
2: Right, right. And I mean, we do things to help, you know, try to get reviews for it and, and all that kind of stuff. Like you could go and hire a PR firm and you could pay money and you might get some reviews and all that stuff. But in films, it's so hard to know sometimes what's going to hit with a zeitgeist of uh, culture or whatever, right? Um. But yeah, I mean, the more aggressive, I think, Not aggressive in the sense of you're spamming, but aggressive in terms of really make sure, you know, if you had a plan, say, each week I'm going to post about this on whatever platforms I use, Um, usually social media, right? Make sure you're consistent with that. And if you say, I'm going to hit up a bunch of groups this one month, then do that, you know? Watch my film, you know? What do you guys think? I made this film. Bring it down the same sort of production.
0: yeah, what's that? The, uh, break it down sort of the, the same way that you broke down the production of the movie. Yeah, uh, where you have mm-hmm. your your blocking and even like your 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 se- day one, day two. Do that for your post production marketing aspect as well. Like this is going to be this group. This is going to be that group. This is going to be that social media platform. Uh, at least to you know begin with to get sort of a blueprint of what you actually need to do. Uh, so, do, what do you see? Is all that being said, you're saying be consistent with it. What is the life lifespan of a of a, a creative project of a film these days? Is it still, that's B- a great question. Cause... Or is it shorter these days?
2: No, no, it's, um, there's no, okay. there's no lifespan of a movie, right? A lifespan of a movie is a uh, movie is created. Uh lifespan is until that movie gets destroyed somehow. It's, it lives <laughs> on forever. Right. Right. But I mean, honestly, right. Okay. So I met a guy online. He had the slasher movie from the eighties called Madman, And, uh, just, I think he shared a story in one of these groups where he basically said, I think it was made in 83, 84, it was made in New York. And, um, I think they, they did well at the box office. Like they were in competition with ET. Mm-hmm. um, wherever, you know, was playing regionally. So they did well, but I think there was some issue with the distributor sometimes happens. Right. But he was just like, the, the base of the story was like, look, I just milked this movie From whatever format was popular at the time, so theatrical to VHS to DVD to Blu-ray to streaming, right? So just kept milking it, basically. And then after film, a musical genre more so than others, is around for a while. People are more, especially the cinephiles, are more excited about it um, because it's like an older movie now, right? So it's got this kind of aura of mystery to it, like yeah, no. you know wh- what is this right right so like the lifespan of a film i mean there is kind of like if you were a large distributor and i think this is still the same um you would want to try to tie it into a release date but the problem is in the way films are sold is you might sell it to one territory but not the other yeah and this is what we kind of do right so i mean i want to give an example here it's nothing to do with us but Uh, there's a movie that came out that was shot here in Winnipeg about um, Percy Schmeiser, the farmer who uh, took Monsanto to court, right? And uh, it played here in the theaters and across Canada in like October, I want to say. Right. And so, you know, on my YouTube feed, I watch a lot of movie trailers. And uh, that trailer for it pops up because I guess they're putting it somewhere in the States. They didn't clarify where. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like one of these things where it just seems like such an unfair advantage that this movie that should have been released and it could be the pandemic too, simultaneously across North America at the same time, you know, has to wait if he wants to play in the States for whatever reason because the way films are sold. You, you would know a, about like, that think, more than
0: I do. I've never understood why, especially nowadays with the internet, why the only difference I think is the time difference. Why would someone withhold that movie uh, I, I think what it was before was that it, it, was, it, it was to down. build buzz. Yeah, it was to build buzz before. I thought now it's the buzz is instantaneous.
2: Yeah, no, it's weird because when you sell a film, there's lots of things to consider. But like people don't understand how films are sold, right? And I can say I'm still learning some of that myself. <laughs> and people don't care how films are sold. They're like, I want to fucking watch this. Yeah, so, there you, you know, goes.
3: Don't give a shit. Right. <laughs>
2: Right. They're like, here, here it is. I want to watch this. No one cares. Right. <laughs> so there's that, that's a factor too. But what it boils down to a lot of the time is, for example, we were talking to a sales agent in the States and he's like, well, maybe we could do theatrical over this. And then I was like, okay, wait. Do I have to get this rated by the MPA? He's like, yeah. So there's an expense right there. Right. Legal issues, all these things, right, that factor into right. it. Um, you sell it to, sorry, sorry. Uh, you sell it to um, a streaming platform and maybe they actually license it, like they actually pay you a fee. You know, there's kind of terms and in those terms, they might want exclusivity. And it's like, why can I, uh, you know, only see this film on Netflix, but not here, right? Oh, yeah. So I think there's, it's a, it's a two-way thing. It's like this thing where consumers who buy the content, you know, they don't care. And then there's the people making the deals and they're trying to squeeze as much money out of it as they can. Yeah. So it's like this weird dichotomy of how films are sold. Um,
0: It's an annoyance. I know. Like, I think the, uh, like that whole, what you mentioned about why can I watch it on this platform, but not platform. That's like the DVD region. Basically, it's like Netflix and Amazon whatever, the YouTube has exclusives. Yahoo tried to do exclusives, but I don't think it worked out very well for them, like in terms of vloggers. But I mean, in terms of releases, yeah, no one cares. It's like, I want access to it. Why do I have to have six different media accounts just to get into these things? I mean, it is the one benefit of having the single sign-on for like Facebook and Google APIs connecting to these different websites. That is the one reason, the one Thing I don't mind about using Google or Facebook. It's like now I don't have to have six different passwords. I just let yeah. Facebook trade my personal information so I can log in and start watching this thing already.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's interesting too because you look 10 years ago, Netflix came along and uh, piracy was an issue. I mean, internally in our industry here, right?
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, Still is.
2: Yeah. Well, here it is. When Netflix came along, the piracy. It's not going away it's never going away uh, it kind of drives me that's when people internally are like you know it's like the piracy you know it's like guys these are people that aren't going to watch your film or they''re never going to pay for your film in the first place like there's no point in combating them it's so futile right you, we've all got to look at the best ways to kind of monetize our, our our stuff or our content so anyways Netflix came along and it was pretty I'd say good I even remember using it as a service where you would mail and you get the DVDs in the mail. Because That's how it started.
0: Wow, that's a long time ago.
2: You <laughs> do you remember that at all?
0: I don't remember Netflix doing that. I thought that was Blockbuster that used to do that, and they are no longer around.
2: No, no, no. Netflix was, uh, I mean, Blockbuster might have done that as well, too. But Netflix, I remember using them as a service. Wow, yeah, I would make this was like 2005, 2006. Um, I kind of liked it because it was like you know, direct to your door, you know, they build a the convenience and like that stuff like that. And not that I didn't mind going to the video store at the time. I just didn't want to support Blockbuster. They sucked. I still do. I don't know why people are, like, clutching their pearls and getting nostalgic about them. Uh, they were an awful company. Um, it's going but, to be the next GameStop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, not not a GameStop. chance. Oh,
2: boy. Yeah. <laughs> GameStop was never good. Um, but, yeah, anyways, so, yeah, they would do it. And then when Netflix came along, I think a friend of mine, Dan, Dan who you know, mm-hmm. um, he, he's always like been a very early adapter and I just kind of follow what he does a lot of times. So he got it and told me about it. I'm like, okay, so I got it on my PS3 at the time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was great. It was just like, it was so perfect because it built in that convenience. And I think what has happened unfortunately is uh, they took a lot of content obviously, which is fine. I don't mind that. They started making their own productions. Okay. That's fine too. Then they eventually became this own kind of like brand. And it's very obnoxious how they brand themselves, and then forcing things into the um, system like autoplaying stuff you're never asking for. Oh, okay. So when I, f- I find when these companies start putting stuff you didn't ask for in the first place, it's like, why am I using this? Right, you start questioning it. And then so all these other players saw that this was successful, and so when we've got like I don't know if you really look at it. There's probably uh, a thousand or so streaming platforms out there.
0: <laughs> really, possibly more. <laughs> I thought there was two: yeah. YouTube and Netflix.
2: <laughs> there's there's and Vimeo, like Actually,
0: Vimeo for filmmakers.
2: Let's see. There's uh, in terms of big ones. There's about five or ten, and I can probably list those off. So Netflix, Amazon, of course, Disney Plus. Oh yeah. Uh, Some are specific to like the states. So Hulu would be in the states only. Uh, here in Canada, we have Crave, yeah. HBO, so there's six right there I can think of. There's probably a few others. Vimeo, um, although we use a version of Vimeo, which is not the... Anyways, this is a whole long thing, but I don't think a lot of people use Vimeo. I mean, anyways, I don't get into that. So there's like, you know, those uh, streamers there, and then there's just a bunch of other smaller ones out there. Uh, you know, Vimeo has it <coughs> for us as content creators if we were to uh, we wanted to create our own streaming platform we could, basically.
0: Yeah, Vimeo was always good for users. filmmakers, I remember. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of geared towards that. They were. I remember when I was uh, uploading movies uh, and travel docs and stuff like that, travel videos. Um, Vimeo was had better quality. Because uh, YouTube, I th- I'm not sure if it was a compression or if it was like the, the auto-detect of your internet connection would just make a lot of your videos look like garbage. That's changed yeah, in the yeah. last couple in the last year, two years, uh, as uh, internet connections have gotten better. But Vimeo used to be the place for like, you know, filmmakers, the creative types went. But I don't mm-hmm. think anyone ever said, "Oh, I'm going to go Vimeo that." No, I think I'll oh, go just go to YouTube. YouTube's your education, right? That's your, your yeah, yeah. main video source now.:
2: Yeah, I know, it's interesting. I mean Vimeo is good for certain things. We use it. Uh, it's a bit harder to sell products, but like say when a theater plays one of our movies, we create a Vimeo link for virtual cinema.
1: Yes, they use the Vimeo link,
2: so it's good. It's good for utility things. But uh, I forgot to mention iTunes. Of course, that was like yeah, the first iTunes. one that kind of created transactional video on demand. And like the thing here in North America, you might I don't know if you have that in Beijing, but uh, is what's called adver- which is basically like cable, but advertising video on demand. So there's various platforms out there. Tubi is one we have some uh programs on um, but basically what they do it's like they just play ads so you don't pay for the fee you don't have to you could sign up if you want to right? but you don't have to sign up right so it's not this thing where you have to have an email address and a password it's just kind of there um, so, it's so like yeah a, it's, it's like space. a TV
0: basically watching ads
2: <laughs> yeah yeah but you know it's weird to say that uh, here in North America and it may be different uh, where you are that these a v o d platforms are really kind of picking up on popularity because uh there's fatigue of why am I paying for all these streaming platforms yes <laughs> and and my frustration I think a lot of people is I have so much stuff to watch, and they end up watching nothing right mm. so there's an issue as well
0: the um I haven't heard of these AV, AVDO, Advertising. Sorry, yeah,
2: AVDO, A-V, oh. so Advertising Video On Demand. Right. I, AVOD,
0: I AVOD, AVOD, AVOD. I haven't heard of these. I don't know what they are in uh, China. I'm not sure if they are here. They could be because the number of uh, streaming platforms in China is insane. There seems to, like TikTok, when TikTok blew up, what, a year ago, mm-hmm. year and a half ago, everyone started having TikTok. I mean, Douyin is the Chinese name of it, but there's the international TikTok version. I right, only right. went on it after, after it became sort of um, popular in the West, because I was like, I, "Why do I need more streaming platforms? I don't need to." And I can tell you, the stuff on Douyin, I don't need to watch. Most of it is just it's twenty-second clips. I don't need to spend my time doing this. I have, I'd rather watch a documentary on YouTube or, I don't know, read a book. I know, shocking, shocking. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't... The other thing uh, I will say that has changed in our time of being creatives and publishing online in a uh, a bandwidth-heavy form, such as video, because this is probably the, one of the big kick in the balls or kick in the pants that video has, it sucks up so much data. That has changed mm, yeah. in the last couple of years. I never liked streaming, and maybe call me an old man, but I never liked streaming on my phone because I'm using mobile data. Now, if there right. is one thing that is cheap in China, it's mobile data. I'm talking like I'm I would pay okay. for ten gigs. It was twenty dollars. Okay. So I don't I in Canada to get ten gigs is what like seven thousand dollars or something. I'm not sure what it is anymore. Oh god, I, I don't know. I have no idea. But yeah, my I because I grew up with these um, I grew up, I mean mid-20s was spent with these cell phones with data packages like of two gigs cost you like $15 a month. And you're going, oh well, I can't watch yeah, this right. yet, <laughs> right? So I guess I just have a natural aversion to watching any sort of video on my phone. I've sort of come around to that now. But if I'm ever gonna do like any heavy watching, like a full-length movie, it's not gonna be streamed, it's gonna be uh, downloaded or on my Wi-Fi connection. Uh, basically. Well, yeah. I mean,
2: most people here are like, there's Wi-Fi everywhere. So people are just like, oh, what's in Wi-Fi? And, you know? Yeah. I mean, th- this is why people, you know, I mean, pre-pandemic people, you'd go to Starbucks and there'd be some guy watching porn on his fucking <laughs> computer or something.
0: Why would they do that? Starbucks, how does that even set you up in the mood for what you're what porn's supposed to do? I don't get it. I mean, unless they get that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs>
2: anyways, but yeah. Uh, But I mean, it's like, uh, yeah,
0: I was wondering whether or not the pandemic has uh, helped your business at all, because I mean, people are stuck at home. Yeah, it's a good question.
2: Um, We've certainly grown, um, not to maybe where we'd like to be yet, so we're still growing. Um, But a lot of that is just us finding other platforms to place our stuff on, I believe. And of course, you know, getting more content out there, of course, that's going to make a difference. Um, the one thing that has been helpful is a lot of these government support programs have been extremely helpful for us.
0: Which ones? Um,
2: I know. Well, let's see, here in Canada they had this what was basically called the Canadian Emergency Business Accounts thing. Right. <laughs> right. That's been helpful. Um and then here in Manitoba, there was some like bridge grants they gave out recently. Um okay. So that's been helpful, Um, but yeah, I mean, it's weird, like, okay, we're dealing with micro-budget smaller films, right? And so what has happened, unfortunately, is not like, you know, everybody's like, run out of stuff to watch. Like, I don't think that's humanly possible (laughs) at at all. (laughs) People that say that, like, okay, get out of here. Um, But of course, what has happened is these big studios have kind of forced themselves onto the streaming platforms that they don't have that theatrical to go to. Yeah. So, we're competing with them as well, too, right? So, that, that's that been a, certainly a challenge. Um, but, I, you know, it's a good question. I don't know if I have the answer like, yeah, everything's been amazing. Right. Okay. Or no, this <laughs> pandemic's been horrible and we're going to shut our doors tomorrow. I, I you know, I, I don't think it's been one or the other. There's certainly been some positive aspects to it. Um, I would say that because of the pandemic and in 2019, we got some help from business development Canada, just in terms of like helping with, uh, working with a marketing consultant. And from there, it's just been kind of like go, go, go for us. Um, okay. It feels like this is pandemic, it feels like we've been working the hardest we've ever have um, That's good. because there's this, yeah, there's this fear of, you know, what happens after the pandemic is over, right? So we've just been really kind of like busting our ass and, um, you know, I think experimenting with a lot of stuff, which could be exciting. It can be frustrating if it doesn't go the way you want it to. Of course, okay. I mean, experimentation, mostly with marketing, of course.
0: So are you seeing um, results yeah. from the stuff that you're doing? Like uh, you're saying you're working a lot harder. I mean, is it, is it paying off? Are you seeing some sort of fruition of ideas or, uh, you know, time spent, energy spent?
2: Yeah, I, I'd say so, um, like we, this is the first time we did it. We were at the European film market and it was all virtual. So we were here, mm-hmm. but, you know, going to conferences there and we had some pretty good meetings with, I mean, Tus like fairly higher profile companies that if we can work with them, I think it's just going to benefit us in the long run. So yeah, so certain things that I think, you know, are slowly starting to pay off right now. I think stuff that is going to pay off in the very near future.
0: Do you think this is going to change again once the, whenever this pandemic is over, like is it, is, are, will you have to be in Europe to go to these conferences again? Will that, will there, will there be that sort of not just cost and time, but physical barrier to entry? I mean, now that, you know, Zoom is all over the place, you're, you're using Google for a lot of your meetings. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. is it, is this going to disappear once the pandemic is over or is this basically the, the new style of business meeting?
2: Uh, I think they're trying. Well, I mean, time will tell, right. Um, they are trying for some kind of hybrid. They say if that happens, we'll see. Yeah. I know we've been talking about like, maybe we'll go to con cause they have a fairly large market there. Yeah. And you know, even if you go to these markets, it doesn't mean you're going to sell stuff right away, but you'll make these contacts and over time you might sell to them eventually. Right. Um, but you know, I think Con was like July. Usually, take place in May. Yeah, but it's, I think July this year. Okay, because everything's being held back because I think they're all hoping for some kind of physical event, right? So it's a thing of okay, if Con is virtual, maybe we'll go because we don't have to worry about all these other expenses for us. You know, still a fairly young company. That's super helpful. Um, but if it is physical. You know, and they have a hybrid. You know, then we have that option to do virtual, which right. is great. But you know, there's probably going to be when it does that hybrid. There's probably going to be advantage to the people you want to talk to are probably going to do the physical. I would imagine, right? And then saying to them, "Oh, you know, we're at it, but virtually," they're going to be like, "Yeah, okay, well,
1: we're <laughs> oh, at the bar getting
2: drunk, so come meet us there."
0: You know, still the barrier to entry. Yeah, um, I, I think
2: so. I mean, even. And a lot of these things, the big Amazons and Netflix, stuff like that, it's impossible to talk to them, basically, unless that, you know, you've got an in somehow, right? They don't provide their emails or anything like that. So even in the virtual sense.
0: Do you think that most filmmakers who do a micro budget or a a low budget film could actually walk into a meeting with Amazon and actually get something out of it? Not not like. Amazon would be able to, you know, hit it big, but that the filmmaker would be like, I'd learned something, uh, you know, either I know what to do for next time or that I know that I was heard and I could actually pursue, like I am one of the big fish. Or is it like most of my, because a lot of um, small budget filmmakers, I mean, they're just, you know, guys who had an idea, girls, uh, people who had an idea, uh, put some money together, got some friends together, like, hey, look at this. I, we made a film. Like that, that's a big achievement. Don't get me wrong. Uh, But I mean, if they walk into a meeting with Amazon or Microsoft or any one of the big uh, distributors, I mean, what do you say to these guys?
2: Well, okay. So that's an interesting question. An interesting scenario. Uh, First of all, Mm -hmm. usually at these markets, the net, these, the big players, it's, uh, you know, they're a separate place. They have security around them. So there's like a whole (laughs) thing there. Right. (laughs) Um, but but I'm gonna say that it depends on the person, right? Because you know people might have a micro-budget film, might not. they be that good, but they uh, know how to talk the talk, right? Right. And they can certainly charm them, right? Because you could really go through like Netflix and Amazon, and there's all kinds of varying degrees of content on there. And, you know, you kind of wonder how this stuff gets on there, but it's like, maybe they know somebody or whatever, or, you know, um, they didn't pay that much for the film to begin with. It was just like, Oh, we need to fill up a content quotient. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, kind of the bigger films that get made with cast and stuff like that. uh, They're basically financed already. You know, if Netflix has their name on it, they would have come in with a bit of money and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, it's it's so hard to say because it depends on the person. And, uh, I mean, there's distributors out there like us that, you know, we, we work with a filmmaker, and it's like, you know, we'll take your, your, your low-budget thing. For us, the challenge as a distributor is, okay, there's other platforms out there that aren't, you know, iTunes and stuff like this, so let's experiment with these and see if people start buying stuff on those particular platforms. Like we just signed up for one, uh, called gum road. We started putting titles up there. So every Friday we'll put a new title up there. Okay. And we're just seeing if people will actually buy stuff, but it, it works like iTunes where, and we could put like behind the scenes photos and, um, uh, footage, extra footage or whatever. Um, but we could put up for buy or rent, but it's like iTunes where it's um, T-VOD, so transactional video on demand. So people buy it. They own the file or they rent the file. They got so much time to watch it. Um, but yeah, we reasonably price this stuff. We don't price this stuff like ridiculously high or anything.
0: All, all so, the yeah, prices that, here, I think are what 99 cents or $2, a couple dollars each uh, to buy. The or short films.
2: Yeah. The short films. I think the features you get in like the two or $5 territory. Right. If Ooh, we had big something. Cost,
0: that, big cost. Uh.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, a lot of people are like, you know, people, um, or are you going to watch a micro-budget movie you may not have heard of or do you need to buy shoes for your kids, right?
0: That's, well, that's a good comparison. <laughs>
2: right? So it would be very realistic about it at the same time. But, I, you know, I think the challenge for us is <clears throat> trying out other platforms. A lot of the times it's getting past these gatekeepers to deliver it. Certain platforms are like you know we you want your catalog has like hundred two hundred titles before we'll even look at you right okay um, because they're just looking to I mean I know Tubi is not over Beijing I think it's just North America but if you you know you're able to ever check Tubi out like the amount of content they have on that platform is just like it's it's I don't know how it's possible
0: Tubi T V it's like the U B I oh, okay Tubi T V U B I yeah
2: yeah Tubi okay. T V so but we've got stuff on there, and I mean in terms of advertising revenue, it pays like decent, not like huge bucks, but I think fair, um, and that's all you can really ask for in this day and age.
0: Yeah Out of all the uh, the movies that are on your website, like what's the, the percentage that um, like you're taking and that the film, filmmaker would get from you know the 99 cents or the, the two dollars or five dollars?
2: Yeah, so it depends on the licensing agreement, but generally it's like we take 30 percent and the filmmaker gets 70.
0: Right, and, and I mean, some people would go, oh my God, you're taking 30%, but then you look at Amazon or iTunes and they take some obscene amount of percentage. Um, and I know like YouTube does it, I'm not sure if YouTube takes a commission or they charge you a fee. Um, well,
2: it depends because there's like, yeah, so we have our stuff on uh, iTunes and Amazon and yeah. Um, if you follow gaming, there's this whole thing with uh, Epic Games and putting their stuff on the iTunes store because of that reason you're talking about right um but yeah i mean you know i mean they 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 tie they handle the first strings right so you can't really do that where i know that with gum road i mean the commission they're taking is a lot less right. and that's why we're experimenting with it um but yeah we have our stuff on itunes and amazon as well too yeah they do take a percentage and stuff like that but you know what happens with um Well, here in Canada, I think just like nobody really kind of understands distribution to a large sense, or it's not really taught in film school, or that whole kind of aspect is just like, or marketing, it's just like, and even telefilm, who should know better, they don't
0: Who who taught the distribution and marketing in Winnipeg? I mean, in university, there was nothing. And that was University of Manitoba, University of Winnipeg, I don't think had anything. I was think it was a film group that had a seminar on marketing and distribution. I think it was like one Saturday afternoon or something. And that was it. And basically, all of that was how it wasn't even, uh, here are the government forms you should fill out. (laughs) Because that's basically what it boiled down to is like, if you want to get distributed, you need money. And if you need money, then you need government money. And it was like, here, these are all the funding agencies that you should be applying to. Basically. That was, mm-hmm. that's what the whole spiel was about. I'm like, okay, so it's all a government funding uh, arts program, basically.
2: Well, um, yeah, even, even that, I mean, uh, the film group has a distribution department, of course, but even that it's like, um, hmm, um, when telefilm gives money for a micro budget project, it's like they don't understand that you do need to build a marketing budget into these things and you have to be aware of that and working towards that. You know, one of the advice I give to filmmakers is like, yeah, don't be ashamed and afraid to promote your work even when you're working on it. Um that's an important thing and that's got to carry on for as long as the film can be monetizable, right? So, but yeah, so it's, it's like thing like we don't teach here and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah.
0: Yeah. The, do you, when you said that you were putting background uh, or uh, behind the scenes stuff, this was not <laughs> a big thing to do 15 years ago and it's become a bit more popular. And I I sort of see it as the new marketing technique of a lot of. Uh, They don't do it for big budgets as much. Uh, Maybe the individual players, like the the director or some key grip will be like posting a video, but basically you don't see too much of it because it's controlled. But like a micro budget, it seems like you should be almost doing the behind the scenes stuff. Like this is how we're shooting this scene. This is how we're doing this. You know, this is a quick 30 second take with the, you know, the corpse that we are filming today. Say hello corpse. Hello corpse.
2: Uh, Yeah. So it's, I mean, in terms of the big budget films, uh depending on the blu-ray and dvd they might have some of that stuff on because they still make physical product um but yeah i would uh, you know advise any micro budget filmmaker uh clips um behind the scenes any of that stuff is extremely helpful and just to put it out there to have it absolutely handy but yeah what i was kind of getting at with that is with um gum road Uh, i think you do this in vimeo as well too it's like we can add when you buy the file or rent the file, you get access to. If somebody had like a behind the scenes right. reel, we can put it on there. If they want to watch it, they can watch it. They can go through like the photos for the film. You know, a lot of the times we get films and, you know, we're making uh, marketing materials, or I shouldn't say I am. Craig is making marketing materials for right. scraps sometimes.
1: <laughs> so.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, and but it's sort of like your DVD extras from uh, the, the years. Ago. Yeah, exactly before although you're not getting the physical dvd anymore sadly uh do you still sell physical dvds or uh blu-rays and things like that or is that dead yeah
2: well there's a, there's this bad boy here uh, anyone's watching let's <laughs> go on our website you can buy yourself a copy um yeah it's um it's it's in the realm of collectors markets or people that collect films or cinephiles um there is one we are uh, we are hoping to make and I think probably will make DVDs for it but very limited run to see how it does um, and more so concentrated on our genre projects right? Um, because those guys who make the genre films, they generally do want their stuff on physical media. Um, Blu-ray is very cost prohibitive. Um, how, much cost
0: how much does it cost to do a Blu-ray these days?
2: Um, it depends if you get the license from Sony. Oh, geez. So it's like, yeah, I don't want to get into too much of the details, but let's just say that you know, uh, relatively speaking, maybe if you got the license here from Sony, you're looking at maybe six dollars per unit. Uh, this is just off the top of my head. It's right. fairly expensive when you think about it, right? The profit margins aren't that high, depending on how much you sell it for. Um, versus if you don't go the route, but you know, these collectors, they know if it's like a, looks like a burnt disc, they're like, well. Oh, no, thanks. Geez. Right. So we, you, you kind of want to make sure you're appealing to that market because they're more likely to buy it that way. Um, whereas and I'm guessing you know, you that you do couldn't,
0: do it, you couldn't offer, like, uh, if you buy this burnt copy, you can download the HD version. That that sort yeah, of upsell sale doesn't work.
2: We didn't get too much into the download for digital files yet, which I, I, I don't know, maybe will at some point. Yeah. Uh, so I can really speak to that, but, um, yeah, I mean, uh, again, back to what I was uh, saying is like if you were to do the what it's called, um, I think it's called manufacturing video on demand. But basically, you pay a company to manufacture the burnt Blu-rays for you, or they're like burnt. You're looking at probably like one fifty-two dollars per unit, so it's a big cost differential.
0: Oh yeah,
2: massive. Uh, and then you do pay, you do pay Sony a fee on top of that as well too. So
0: why does Sony because get Sony a fee? Are you kidding me? They,
2: <laughs> they own Blu-ray. They own Blu-ray is Sony owns Blu-ray. It's what um scam actually, artist. Oh geez. So the technology of Blu-ray, that's like Sony owns Blu-ray, right? Right. It's not like uh DVD is like anyone can make a DVD, but Sony actually owns Blu-ray. That is their product. Uh
0: this is I've never actually I, I never knew that. Uh, I know I, I looked up you know? the uh the Blu-ray. Burner. I think you could buy one for like $40,000 American or something like that. Some stupid number. <laughs> Here's, uh, yeah. I know who buys it except for a production house. And how many production houses are buying Blu-ray disc burners these days? I mean, I, I don't know.
2: Yeah. I mean, when we got ours made, it was through a company in Toronto who, um, I, I don't know if the company's still around. I know they ceased production on like duplications. So.
0: Right. Who'd you go through in Toronto? right
2: it's a company called Duplium. I mean, they're they're no longer around. I think they shut their doors, not because it was like, they went bankrupt. It's just like, you know, we don't see a... We're just going to... I think the owner said, you know, I'm going to cash it in, call it a day, basically, type thing, right?
0: Digital was the way to go. Because, uh, I mean, it's it's sort of becoming the, uh, the, uh, the way that most people are distributing. And it's a good low-budget entry. I mean, you don't have to make DVDs, but, yeah, there is still, I guess, a... Uh, 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 industry for it as long as it's not dvd region locked nothing has bothered yes. me more <laughs> than traveling the world and then going to buy a dvd uh in some because uh, with music you can do this you can buy a cd you pop it into anywhere it works but a dvd you know you go to thailand you go to cambodia you're like or you go to you know greece and you're like hey let's check out the local filmmaking well, you buy the DVD if, unless you have the the player for it, you're not going to get it. I mean, ugh, frustrating, mm-hmm. aggravating. That that was my major issue with traveling uh, and trying to sort of see what the local uh, art scenes were like, because it was very difficult for mm-hmm. for movies. Are you still making movies yourself, or are you out of that sort of scene? Because I think like when we first met, some two decades ago. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, You were working on several, yeah, you were working on some um, short films. I'm not sure if you did a feature on your own, but um, are you still Uh, doing uh, short films or movies on your own? Um,
2: Yeah, to some degree. I mean, maybe not to the extent I'd like to be doing, obviously running a company. And I think what we're trying to do is basically just trying to get Canadian films like recognized and seen. Um, that takes a lot of work, um, but I can say that I've produced uh, some short documentaries with Craig. Um, so through for CBC, it's on our website. You can watch them for free, basically, right? Uh, you pointed um, me to
0: Iron Fist of Winnipeg. That was the Filipino gamer yeah. who moved to Winnipeg, right?
2: Yeah. So Craig directed that. I produced it. I was pretty <laughs> happy with how that turned out. Um, we well, so like I like. I'm a big I'm a big I'm an epic gamer everyone <laughs> anyways, I enjoy playing video games um, it's such a culture thing that we people are there anyways but yeah I like playing video games I like playing the fighting games a lot um, it was really neat to get to know chip damage the kind of fighting game community here in Winnipeg and to meet Yumi was a really cool guy hmm. um, we were kind of hoping at the time and never materialized unfortunately that uh, I know those chip damage guys. They go to um, Evo, which is the fighting game tournament in um, the big fighting game tournament. I think it's in Vegas every year. Right. I think in Vegas or California. Make, I'm not sure. It
0: would make sense to be in Vegas. It seems like it's Vegas, yeah, but, it would. Yeah, but happened there.
2: But it's, a, it's the, the big fighting game tournament, right? And uh, we we're kind of hoping. Well, we did kind of talk to CBC, but they passed. Like pitching like an hour long version of that. But following those guys down to, like, Evo and, you know, I don't know what the story would have been, but I think I was just looking for an excuse to be like, yeah, I want to travel down to Evo. I want to see what that's like. <laughs> I'm a fan of these fighting games, right?
0: Make the product that you want to see. I think that's uh, basically what the... Uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I guess, do, they, do these gamers make money uh, playing these games? Because this is the big thing. Like, Chinese kids think they're like, this is an actual job, and call me old, but I kind of go. Gaming isn't a job. Now I might be wrong. I could be very much wrong. Well, Steve, let
2: me screw you because you're very wrong there. <laughs> um, let's just say this way that I feel like I was born <clears throat> ten years too early. If I was born ten years, uh, like ten years later, in 1988 um or maybe even later um i mean i'm born into the right generation because gaming in north america is huge and there are so many ways that these people i'm not saying kids they're not all kids are able to monetize and and this could be this doesn't necessarily be like there is like esports tournaments right there's esports leagues right so people do make money off of that i mean those are like the best players and then there's like personalities on Twitch who, you know, I, I don't know, I don't watch uh, them on Twitch per se. I know Twitch exists, but they do make money and they do monetize them playing video games on there. So there's a lot of ways for people nowadays to monetize um, uh, playing off video games, playing video games, streaming it, uh, playing competitively. Um, but it's, it's <laughs> the equivalent of being a filmmaker – or being a musician or anything is where well. it's like a lot of people are trying to do that. Yeah. So it's a high bar of entry, right? So it's it's it is possible, but it's a very hard thing to do.
0: And it sounds uh, like it's know, a, a dream are... job and for a lot of people yeah. it's it keeps it stays more of as a as a dream rather than a job. Uh, but Yeah, I mean, that's very fair to say. I was never good at video games. I was terrible. Um, I don't think it took me uh, it took me years to beat Super Mario Brothers 3. Uh, I don't. I think I beat Super Mario. You gotta find the warp zones. Well, yeah, and I didn't know how to do it. Uh, I have no patience. I've realized I have no patience for video games. Uh, Just zero. The last game that I played religiously was uh, uh, SimCity Build It. That seemed to be my my uh, my go to because it was something I could set up and let go, and then I didn't have to pay attention to it anymore. Not only that, it would save automatically. Uh, Uh, Now. what I did not do correctly was I didn't connect my Facebook account going back to social media and it's, it's positives um, because had I done that, I could have saved my city from one cell phone to the next. As a result, my, the two cities I've built, one was very good. Uh, They are lost. They are in the ether of the internet. I can't, I don't know how to get them back because those were played on different cell phones and different accounts um I think they're lost. Lost for all eternity, sadly. Sadly. Well, it's
2: interesting you mention that because um you know, not that I play it, but uh Minecraft is a huge game. They and that sounds that. like a game game you would probably connect to because it's all about building, you know, where you know um certain games are about. Like I play the fighting game, so it's all about, you know, it's a competitive thing, really. Um And, like, I like fighting, you know, just in general. Like, I go to a boxing gym, right? I enjoy martial arts and all that kind of stuff. Like, I'm watching it. Um, And I think the fighting games and video games emulate that type of fighting, right? Yeah. I mean, the concept's the same, you know. Be on the offensive defense. You block, attack, dodge. Like, just very simple principles. Um, And that's why I think, you know, when Street Fighter came out in the arcade in 92, that's why it's, like, such a phenomenon. Because, um the concept is so simple it's so easy to like pick it up and you know i mean it's harder to execute the combos and stuff like that obviously right but the whole idea of there's best of three Hmm. and you've got you know 90 seconds within 99 seconds you know and then uh you advance to the next fighter or stuff like that
0: I think the graphics so are like, very good. But when Street Fighter came out, that was sort of yeah. a, a, an evolution of graphics uh, because up until then, yeah. like 1992, and 1991, the games were still relatively simple. And I think, I guess, the the Super NES was coming out at that time. Uh, it came the Super yeah, and around, around there. there. Yeah, yeah, around um, there, around there. The the arcade technology itself, because I think Street Fighter was an arcade before it became a video game. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I can't.
2: Remember was it like the uh, yeah? No, no. My experience with Street Fighter. Street Fighter 1 was not a huge game, but the concept was there. Yeah. Street Fighter 2, 91, 92, I don't quote me of the year, was huge at the arcades, and arcades were still a thing, because I remember going, and that was always a thing of, you know, uh, if you were really good at it, you could last on one quarter, because the kids would come in, or the other people come in. <laughs> you know, you would just beat them. I wasn't ever like a top-tier player, by any stretch of the imagination, but if you were really good, uh, you could, you know, last long on one quarter. Um, but yeah, so I mean, you know, obviously gaming's evolved, and you know, there's ways to of monetize off of it uh, these days. And uh, yeah, I, I'm right. surprised uh, you haven't connected with Minecraft yet. I, can, uh, with that.
0: I think because Minecraft came after. I think when did, when was Minecraft released? Was that mid two thousands? Two
2: thousand nine, two thousand ten. And maybe uh,
0: before then, it up. yeah, I was already traveling at that time, uh, and traveling right, was sort right. of my new sort of thing. Uh, one thing that travel has killed, although I see there's a few other expats who are still into it. Like a lot of expats I know, they still play video games, like Nintendo Switch. Everyone, or at least there's a few people who have a Nintendo Switch, um, so they're all playing Super Mario or whatever, whatever else they play. Um, but sports. I'm going to well. get to that in a
1: second. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't watch sports. I can't. Uh, I don't know what channel they're on, on my TV. Um, The time difference has always played havoc. And usually when the NHL hockey season's going on, I was in a plus 35 weather. And it was like, why am I watching a video? Well, I could never watch the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, Up until recently, they didn't have specialized channels for these these teams. So like when I started traveling, it was just basically that took over my whole life. And I, I was basically living in or drinking in bars and traveling, basically wondering how do I, how do I not get knifed and robbed? And how do I get from this country to that country over land? The cheapest, cheapest method possible. Micro budget travel was basically what I was doing.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, that's, that's amazing. I mean, not a lot of people, uh, I have not traveled a lot myself, which, you know, uh, I still want to do um, for a number of reasons, but that's amazing.
0: Come to China. Uh, By the way,
2: you are talking yeah, um, maybe one day. I, I have an aunt in uh, the UK. I need to visit one of these days. Uh, it's funny you mentioned the Jets. So I checked the score because uh, they played the Leafs tonight and they lost uh, in a shootout, unfortunately.
0: Uh, the but they were doing so, quite well a couple of years ago. Actually, that was my big shock. I think it was two years, not last year. That was the pandemic. Two years ago, they were top of the league, weren't they? Uh,
2: no, they've been. I mean, they've been a pretty solid team these past few years. Um, and again the nitty gritty of it but I know they traded Liney this year and he was like you know the big big pick a few years ago yep. um, and but, Bufflin's I mean, gone too of, I think oh yeah it's been long gone they've got a lot of good players on that team but I mean they've been doing pretty consistent like these past few seasons I think the best they've done was 2018 and the playoffs um, they got to not the finals but the semifinals. So they one of the last four teams. Uh, unfortunately, they were eliminated.
0: Who did they play? That um, so year they year. did. Do it. That was Las Vegas. Uh,
2: yeah, Las Vegas. Which
0: stupid a- Las Vegas? Why do they yeah. have a team?
2: Apparently, it's big over there. Like they don't have a sports team in Vegas. No, they have two sports teams because <laughs> the Oakland Raiders moved there, right? So. <laughs>
0: Las Vegas big big sports town. What's all the aliens from alien, uh, area 51 coming down? They're going, "Dude, what else is there to do here except like sitting hot sand?"
2: But but if you think about it, it makes sense for Vegas to have a sports team with all the betting that goes on there, right? It's like it seems like a natural fit.
0: Uh I guess or maybe like it's the desert, why would they have a hockey team?
2: Yeah, well, uh, they're very popular over there. So. People said
0: the same thing about Phoenix. I remember when Phoenix Coyotes first started and they basically bought out Wayne Gretzky's, or no, it was Los Angeles, Wayne Gretzky's contract from the Edmonton Oilers. That was the big trade, I remember. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Him. It was in 89, 90. It was after Edmonton had won a bunch of titles uh, at Stanley Cups. And then Phoenix, or Los Angeles, sorry, they basically bought out the rest of the contract and Wayne Gretzky went down there uh, to help uh, spread ice hockey basically around North America.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I guess
0: that's yeah, a I know good right. expansion I know plan.
2: Yeah. Anyways, this whole thing, as you said about Gary Bettman and, you know, the expansion into the league and all those um, Southern states and all that. But uh uh, your question, I think, was, you know, what I've been working on. Um, <laughs> yes. We got far away from that. We were talking about <laughs> gaming there for a while, which I love to talk about. Um, but, yeah, I just want to mention this for again. But uh, Craig and myself, we we are uh, in tandem. We are working on a number of scripts. Okay. Uh, kind of. You know, something we're just trying to do is, like, having scripts. Uh, you know, I wrote a script recently. Um, I wouldn't say I'm going to go make it tomorrow, but it's something to have, like in case we get to that point where we can, you know, secure financing on them sometime in the near future, which is a hard thing to do, admittedly.
0: Are you still doing horror films, or have you moved away from that now?
2: Um, I mean, the script I'm writing on, I would say it's kind of a horror film. Right. The one I just wrote was a horror film. Um, it's just the genre I kind of, I guess, feel comfortable in. Yeah. Um, we we probably might end up working with other filmmakers on a production capacity, producing capacity. We certainly talk to them. And uh, I think in those kind of scenarios, they probably may not be horror genre movies, uh, depending on the filmmakers themselves.
0: What does Craig work on? Because, I mean, I sort of uh, I've known you more of it as a horror. Um, I would say schlock horror, but it's horror in general like that, that sort <laughs> of that area that. Yeah. um genre of filmmaking uh like not Grateful Dead the other one Evil Dead um Evil Dead sure right so that sort of type of filmmaking uh but what does Craig sort of do what what, like what was his sort of background in filmmaking
2: um well mostly editing so he's edited a lot of documentaries um some through the National Film Board uh, done a lot of visual effects for films, a lot of graphics. He worked at CBC, did graphics there. Right. Um, so I mean, you know, and then you know, some of those films he did for CBC, he directed them.
0: Right. Yeah, because um, his name shows well, up on uh, a few like of these it, yeah. these shorts.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So he he directed the the Iron Fist of Winnipeg. He also, uh, I would say, is a better gamer in terms of well, not a better gamer, <laughs> but like he's that sounds so stupid. He's better at the fighting games than I am, and he. Years ago, I think, went to a few of those chip damage tournaments, interestingly enough. And I think he did actually play uh, Yumir at one point. Um, I think they were in a match together or something, he told me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, uh, but basically anyways, he, he doesn't game as much as I do, but he's pretty good at the fighting games. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he's, he's added a lot of stuff and graphics and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, we're working with him, you know, he's devout playing himself more. Uh, as a director but still does a lot of editing you know still enjoys it um just that I think with what we're doing in terms of distribution we're a bit more selective with the projects we've been or we are trying to be a bit more selective because I mean when you're starting a business out it's just like okay well they'll pay us right so we're beholden to that but we don't want to get caught in that trap of you know these are our clients and you know they're they make farming videos, so we're going to make farming videos now. We have no passion for yourself. So. Uh,
0: making farming videos is actually pretty big in the states, uh, but it, it's a little bit different because um, I've been look. I've been looking into agricultural droning, like agricultural uh, right, uh, photography, right, right. but using drones for agricultural purposes for industrial purposes. Because I was kind of mm. looking at my my job as an ESL basically instructor. And I go, do I want to keep on doing this? What's the next evolution? What if geopolitical, whatever happens, like what other skills do I have? And I go, well, I kind of like flying drones. Although I can say that flying a drone is not a calming experience at all. It's probably most, one of the most nerve wracking because if the thing touches a tree branch 300 yards away, it's gone, I, and you're going there. Goes two thousand dollars. Right. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> really should have done. Really should have put obstacle avoidance back on before I started the uh, the motors today. But um, <laughs> with all the industrial applications, I just sort of looking at it. I thought it would be a neat thing to do, and I was actually uh, looking to become a pilot as well. But I haven't I haven't taken those steps just yet. It's a uh, it's an idea, but not there just yet. Uh, well,
2: you know, it's funny. Sometimes I think about uh, starting a rap career, and then I'm like, <laughs> you know, probably not.
0: <laughs> but have you tried, though? Have you uh, put on some uh, YouTube videos? Or is this like, because, I mean, it's Friday night in Winnipeg oh, right now. No. Is this what is po- post-podcast activity?
2: No, no. There's uh, There was like a novelty band. They're still around from the early 2000s called The Bloodhound Gang. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, I don't Right there, this one hit. It's like you and me, baby, and nothing but mammals. Let's do it like they yep. do in the Discovery Channel. It's called "The Bad Touch." That was the name of the song. Um, but I, it I can kind of recite. Yeah, it was called "The Bad Touch," but uh, I can recite some of their lyrics. But that's it. I mean, no, I'm not. I'm not. You're not gonna see, see me uh, with a grill tomorrow on my Instagram stories.
0: Well, but maybe. Uh, it could change. It could. Probably not. <laughs> but speaking of traveling, you said you wanted to travel. Are you ever planning to uh, travel to places such as, oh, I don't know, China or Ukraine to investigate some of your um, recent oh, scams? <laughs> I to set this up. Yeah, right? yeah. okay. <laughs> because I, you've messaged me recently and I, I did kind of uh, <laughs> chuckle at this because... This happens here in China quite a bit, and for those who aren't aware, oh, actually, I'm sure. I'm sure I'm sure a lot of people are aware of what's happening. Um, specifically, Tinder, uh, online dating profile, the next evolution of you know swipe right, swipe left. If you swipe right, and especially if you're a man, you're getting targeted by scam artists. I mean, oh, is yeah. this? <laughs> Has it changed much um, in the last couple of months, or is it still the same scam that's going on? Which country is it well, now? You know, I, it's so funny
2: because, like, to me, it's like um, it's like hilarious, right? Because so you know, I, I'm ladies, if you're out there watching, I'm single and <laughs> like to mingle. No, no ladies watching this, I'm sure. Maybe, maybe your mom, sisters are. I don't know. If you have sisters? I have no idea. I have one sister. Um, oh, there you go but uh yeah so you know I find Tinder is kind of like I'll wake up and it's like people watching you just kind of go arbitrarily I'll just do this right and I, I don't give a shit anymore I'm just not caring um but recently in the last year I would match with these uh, Chinese girls
1: mm-hmm.
2: and um I should, I've seen them having a conversation on my phone because they're hilarious <laughs> and um you know, a lot of times these Chinese girls, what they'll do specifically is, or China, I say Chinese girls, but who knows? Right? They're
0: using a Chinese girl's picture and it's some like there's yeah, some exactly Chinese exactly. writing, in, and it's not Japanese. It's, it's, sometimes it is Japanese, but or it can be Chinese. I, I know what you mean. You're well, not it, saying the Chinese it's people often, themselves. Yeah, it's, they'll often have strange names. It'll be like Smiley or
1: you know weird weird names right and it's like, Oh, okay. uh,
0: but i have to stop you there they actually do call themselves that like uh, if you ask someone what's your english name they'll be like oh my name is smiling princess and you're going okay uh oh, interesting. do you have a like an actual name and then they give you their chinese name and you're like yeah i'll never remember that let's just go back to smiling princess
2: okay interesting interesting anyway so it's like okay um so, what they would do a lot is like okay let's uh, let's talk on whatsapp right because it's encrypted I'm like, okay, oh scam, whatever yeah, <laughs> so the the one girl I was talking to or girl quote unquote it's like this is such a bullshit. She claimed to be an investor in films in China, and she would constantly want to talk about crypto, and I would say <laughs> yeah i'm not I, I really don't care too much about crypto I, I really don't and um you know, because they're, they're looking to scam you and I'm trying to get specific answers because I don't get answers to those specific questions. They just stop talking to you because they kind of figure out, okay, this person's not a mark, right? Yeah. And you're trying to figure out like, hey, where do you live? Do you have a job? Like these are things when I think anybody's looking for a partner, male or female, whatever your orientation is, you know, um, do you have a, a job? Do you have some purpose in life? You know, are you not going to be an obscene and vulgar asshole? Um, <laughs> we're trying to think of some other things. Are you going to answer specific questions like, you know, um, are you you know, maybe past, past relationships? So, yeah, and I've talked to girls here in Canada, and I swear to God, I, it's like you, you're married, aren't you? You're just not saying it, right?
3: Oh, wow. And
2: so, yeah, you just have this sense. You're like, I think this person is married um and then i was talking to i want to see if i can hold the conversation i was just like well that's a weird thing to say (laughs) uh in a a tinder conversation and i'm always trying to be very polite right because like even though these are probably scammers you don't know
0: you you, and the things these things can get screenshotted and who knows how they're going to be taken out of context
2: yeah so okay uh, oh my god i'm just gonna read this this is this is a conversation. It's not too long. This woman's name is C I E E L Y. I don't even know how you pronounce that.
0: Cicely. Um,
2: Cicely. And this, you know, Sealy. Okay. could be. Uh, anyways, yeah, so this was back in January. I say, hello, how are you? Right. I just this started to start this like very, you know, simple. Uh, I'm fine. Very happy to talk to you here. I say, I you in Winnipeg. This is the first question I ask. Are you in the same location as me, right? Right. So I try to figure out. Um, I now live in Singapore. I plan to live in Winnipeg mid-March, okay, and start a new life. My parents have a house in downtown Winnipeg. Okay, anybody who lives in Winnipeg knows that the downtown is mostly apartments, and there's houses maybe in the (laughs) downtown, right? So it's like, okay, Um, I have a house in downtown Winnipeg. Uh, we can have a drink together when we meet. I said, I mean, okay, but I doubt the pandemic will be over by then. Uh, like if restaurants and bars are open, but they're still closed here for the next three weeks here for sure. So this is like January right? and they're still closed and you can only eat with people in your own, um, who you live with right now. And then I said, are you your parents in Winnipeg and what brings you to Winnipeg? Uh, I want to start a new life there. My parents live in Singapore, but they'll go there with me. And this is very bizarre. It's just like, hasn't Mexico already issued vaccines now? Okay, well, I'm in Canada. Uh, I'm <laughs> Maybe she thinks Winnipeg's in Mexico, right? I don't know. Uh, I don't know about Mexico, but they've issued vaccines here, but they're being woefully incompetent about it, unfortunately. Uh, which, I mean, they've been getting better at it. Uh, one of Manitoba's been... One of the better provinces, apparently. Uh, Then I say, why Winnipeg? Like, it's, you know, I'm trying to get specifics here. My parents have a house there so I can live and start a new life. Hmm. Uh, I said, okay, are you going to school here in Winnipeg? Do you have some kind of work or job line up here, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what are the specifics? And this this will just blow your mind. (laughs) This is like, why would you say this? And it's funny because after I'll read this, but after I looked this up, it was like somebody had a, Similar conversation with somebody else that knew it was a scam. My ex-husband cheated and caused me to have a miscarriage. Oh, so I want to start a new life in a different place and also have my own business. Okay, that's uh that's pretty heavy. <laughs> like, all right. And then I just say, "Okay," like because I'm taken aback, right? I'm like. <laughs> You know, this is probably a scammer, but you know, to say you had a miscarriage, like that's an intensely yeah something a... for wow. a to go through, right? Right? Because I, you know, I I've known uh, friends or people or who have gone through that, and it's like it's a very, very traumatic thing. So but it's not
0: something you right? would, It doesn't sound like. Well, I shouldn't say it doesn't sound like something you would drop into a conversation, but I don't know. In the so from what you've read so far. It's like, holy shit, did they just literally take it up a notch? Like, What are these bots doing? Where are they pulling this information from?
2: Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. it's Well, who knows? It could be a person doing this, coming up with some kind of story, right? And so I don't know. I'm very sorry to hear about the miscarriage. How do you react to that, right? Uh, What kind of business? Question mark. Yes, what do you do? And then I say I'm a filmmaker. I'm a film distributor. Uh, really, it sounds cool. I run a beauty salon. Uh, interesting. And here, here's the, you know, the trying to bait you in. Haha, ha, I think we can talk through the WhatsApp before I get there. I also have use that program to chat with my friends. Share photos, photos there. I want to add you. And she asked, uh, I guess, I don't know. Are you still there? And then I basically think, asked, okay, let's go on video chat. Like I always say, let's go on video chat, right?
0: Wow, you're brave.
2: Never yeah. happens. Yeah, it never happens. Never happens because they're not going to do it right.
0: Because his scam would be unveiled, un- unveiled. Yeah, you know,
2: it's like it could be some guy from India, it could be some guy from Nigeria, it could be who knows? It could be a guy from anywhere in the world. I shouldn't target those countries. Downtown,
0: absolutely. downtown Winnipeg.
2: Yeah, some guy in downtown Winnipeg. Who knows? In his house in downtown Winnipeg, right on Portage <laughs> Avenue, right next to the Bell NTS Center. There There's right. a house there. I don't know if anybody knows it. So, yeah, anyways, um, it's always interesting to kind of you know, match with these and try to figure out what scam they're trying to pull. That's I think I, I get more pleasure out of that than anything, I think.
0: <laughs> this um, is your, it, your new entertainment.
2: <laughs> yeah, it is very entertaining. And then there was another well, I think I asked you because I knew you were well-traveled and I knew you were knowledgeable about it. And uh, someone fairly close to me, I think, uh, someone fairly close to me had, like, an experience with a girl in Ukraine I don't want to get into, but... Um, yeah. Anyways. So, it was a uh, match with this girl. She looked Eastern European, right? And, you know, in Winnipeg, there's a lot of people from Eastern Europe. Yeah. Like, you know, obviously, we're, like, a few generations apart, but there's people that come and... uh my family my brother-in-law is from poland originally and uh, you know so there's people in his extended family who like, this is his cousin is married to a gentleman who's from russia right um he's a professor so like you know he's here but was born in russia right so there's lots of eastern european people here so i thought okay i matched with this girl look normal you it you know um the ones that are really dolled up you're like okay this is bullshit right <laughs> So I matched with her, and I thought, OK, you know, people can use VPNs, obviously, but it said like, one kilometer away. And, um, you know, I, I said, hey, nice to meet you on this. And she's like, oh, let's talk on email. And right there, it's a red flag, right? So I'm like, OK, Jeez. let's see what this is. Yeah. Um, so I create a fake email account. And then I don't have the email here, um, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But I create a fe- fake email account, and uh, she emails me back. And it's like this thing, oh, I'm from Russia. Um, you know, you could come here, we could meet, you know, we could come here, and then we could have this relationship. And uh, she told me her weight and height. I'm like, okay, that's different. Um <laughs> And then she sent photos of herself, right? And she's all dolled up in these photos. Yeah. And uh, there's like this clip and it's just like her, like it's some like department store, look like a Sears or something like the makeup counter. Yeah. Uh, She's just like, Oh, tee hee. (laughs) Like in this clip. And so I sent her a very long email back and I said, you know, okay, this is what I do. And I basically said like, look, I'm, I'm poor. You know, I'm not fucking rich or anything. I was up front and, uh, you know, something about like, oh, do you know girls in Russia? And I said, well, you know, I know there's scams that come through Russia. <laughs> yeah, and like
0: Especially you know, online. Maybe you'll prove-
2: yeah, and said, maybe you'll prove me wrong, but I don't know. And, of course, she never got back to me or wrote back to me or anything. But you were saying, and this is interesting, that these girls sign up for this uh, basically because it pays them well. And basically, their job is to like scam men. Basically, is what they do, right?
0: Their job is to chat. I don't think they do the scamming. I think they're given a script or a guidance on what to say, uh, and then there okay. are other hands that are controlling the uh, situation. Uh, and I say this because when I was in Ukraine, I remember um, there were mm-hmm. one or two of my students who were involved in the chatting aspect, and then there was at least one expat I met who says, who had said. Yes, I run one of those chat agencies. One of those like those banner ads that you say talk to Ukrainian girls. He was right, the right, one right. who was behind that sort of that marketing and that that business. I'm like, "Okay, interesting." So uh, apparently it's a a legitimate business. <laughs> it there are faces behind those banners, behind those those chat boxes uh sometimes. And I'm not sure if it's the same thing with the the, the Chinese representative, but um or the Chinese picture, but yeah, I, I know uh, being an ESL teacher, you meet some of these people who are just working on their English to find a job. And sometimes that job is chatting to foreign men online.
2: So it's interesting because like it helps them with their English. And, uh, you know, if I fell for it, I could have been talking to possibly different people at different times. Yeah. Um, so, right. so I'm kind of curious. So, I mean, I, I, yeah, I that's assume what would happen. Um, you know, because to me it's like I know you hear these things about like there's not as much man as there's a woman in the Ukraine, and all the women in the Ukraine are beautiful and all stuff like this. But well,
0: you, you know, I'm the sure there's people. That, yes.
2: <laughs> sure, but I'm I'm sure there's people in the Ukraine, uh, you know, who are in relationships and happy and you know, no different than the rest of the world.
0: Um, yeah. And
2: so there's probably a stereotype to this, right? I would think. The-
0: the uh, well, I'd say that there is. I'm not, I mean, when I was in Ukraine, that was already eight years ago, nine years ago, can't remember. Um, but that was the, the people who the expats that were there were usually older, like 40s, 50s. Uh, mm-hmm. if they weren't divorced, then they were either never married or you know, they came from a family background that wasn't like they, they, a, I would say a broken family, like they weren't very close with anybody back home. Um, right. And so one of the reasons that they moved to Ukraine was because they had heard one thing or another, whether it was the women, whether it was the money, the jobs, or there, there's no money and there's no jobs in Ukraine. Um, right. Okay. But I mean, the and where I was, I was in Harkov, which is closer to Russia. It's, you, you, and it was a, It's called a smaller city, although it's a big city. It's a smaller city. It's not the same as a like Kiev, which would be a capital, very similar to Toronto or Montreal. Um, but I mean, so the expat community, I wasn't really part of it as in terms of culture, because I was this traveling ESL teacher, whereas these guys were sort of, you know, I came to Ukraine. I have nowhere else to go. I'm here. I'm going to keep on working. I have a girlfriend or wife or whatever. Um, not usually a girlfriend. Most of the Ukrainian women that I had met in Ukraine were divorced. And like we're talking like their upper 20s, and they were all divorced okay. by that time. So it's like they got married when they were 21, 22, and then divorced by, you know, late 20s or early, early 30s, basically. It was, it, was, it was almost shocking to sort of hear it. But again, with those, those people, the, the, the women specifically who were uh, learning English it's not like they were learning English to scam people. They were learning English to make a better life for themselves. And part of it was right, right. a get away from their abusive husband. Cause that's typically what it was 2 they're just doing this chat job because it pays money. I mean, I don't think anyone's shocked when they say porn makes money, I'm not saying these women were doing porn, but that industry, right. that sort of the, the tributaries into that industry. They were, it's just just it's like, you know, if someone asked it's like that uh was writing scripts for those um, what was it 15 years ago it was a big deal to write up all these articles for like howto.com uh, you know how to do stuff okay. you know it's just okay. word porn you oh i know i can read up upon this you know write up a 100 800 word article about 50 50 different articles and publish them and you get paid right, you know, right. maybe 50 cents an article that's what they're doing it's just, it's just words on a screen for them. They don't give a shit. Why would they?
2: Yes. I kind of figured it was, um, you know, they were just, uh, earning a living basically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of curious. So this, and maybe you don't know, um, but and you haven't been there for a while, but so would is it like, uh, you think that these agencies that are running this, cause this was on Tinder, right? Yeah. And maybe they are putting these profiles on Tinder as well too. Um, do you think they go, okay, go out, make this realistic. I need you to, uh, take some photos of yourself and take a short video and just look dolled up. Is that like part of it as well? Or that would evolve into kind of the next step of what they're doing on these.
0: I wonder if there's maybe two things going on. I'm not sure what it is. Uh, but cause I see this here in, in China, or at least I used to when I was on these, these dating apps a little bit more. I wonder mm-hmm. if there is a market for women or men to sell their photos to these people, uh, to these well, agencies, where okay, gotcha. they could they can make money as that, uh, so that they, they're not the ones interacting, but they're just the model, right? It's I mean, you work in the film industry, right. modeling is a job, right? A, a client is right, a yeah, client. Sure, sure. Someone wants to pay yeah, me 50 sense. bucks for my picture, sure thing, take it. Uh, so that's number one that I sort of see happening. Uh, number two would be that they're literally just stealing the f- pictures from elsewhere and repurposing them, uh, which is probably okay. the cheaper version of what's going on.
2: <laughs> yeah, okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, no, it all makes sense. Um, but yeah, so that's been my experience um, talking to these, uh, whoever they are, man, woman, these people, different people online. These bots.
0: Different online bots.
2: Uh, China seems to be the ones that met from China seems to be about crypto scams. And uh, I think the one in the Ukraine, you obviously know that quite well um, in terms of, you know, what they're running.
0: What um, but, they you know, it's like for, one of these, were they just asking for your companionship or were they going to get you to send money? Cause that, I think that was what it was before. Like right. the Ukrainian women would typically, or whatever the Ukrainian chat was, it was typically, can you send me some money?
1: Well,
2: I, I think it is. I think this is what I think, um, it would be is they want they it's like a con game right i think yeah is they want to figure out if you're a mark Mm -hmm. like any con person would so it might start with very casual banter you know you're very pretty whatever of course me being me i was not quite an asshole on this email but i was direct with her i was like look you know, I know there's scammers out there. So I think I signed off the email with like, you know, if you're not a scammer, have a great day. If you're not going to hell or something like that, or if you are oh, scammers, go to hell. Right.
0: That's a good sign. Right. right? So
2: it's yeah. kind of like, you know, <laughs> so, but I was very direct, um, but I think they're looking for, you know, if you're a mark and, you know, I think we know there's lots of guys out there that'll just like fall over a girl. She's very pretty. Right.
0: I don't know um, uh, who is this because I, I I sort of see it and I go or I, I don't see it. I'm like, why would anyone trust this? Uh, maybe I'm too skeptical of a person. I mean, why would yeah? But there's trust
2: all those like uh, douche bros or whatever you want to call them out there. Like if you see these people that have been uh, scammed, and there's like nerdy guys, whatever. There's lots of people that will fall for this, and uh, people that you know probably you wouldn't expect to. I think do fall for it as well too. Unfortunately. But they're basically looking for, because there's even bonds where it's like, oh, okay, is this real? Right? You have that doubt in your mind. Yeah. Like, because, uh, you know, it's like, oh, pretty girl's paying me attention, right? I think as a guy, we all have that, like, oh, oh boy, right? Um, but yeah, I think what they are trying to do is, I mean, with the Chinese one, it's like a crypto scam. So they're like, give us your Bitcoin at some point. And they're probably going to ask, right? And it's like, oh, I don't have Bitcoin. So. Credit card number instead. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But I think with this this one from uh, the Ukraine, it's, um, you know, get some more details. And then it's a bit of a long con. So, uh, and I've heard that, you know, maybe it's like, the one thing I heard is like, uh, you know, some of these girls might have like multiple men that come and visit them and spoil them and pay for, Things, right? That's one thing I've heard of. Yep. Which makes sense. And you know, are never going to clap for it. And
0: 100%. Really? That's, probably happens all the time. That is um, common in Southeast Asia. If you. Um, yeah, I've heard and, that a I mean, lot. Too, yeah. Basically, I, oh, the, the heartbreaking one, this poor guy, I, I did feel bad for him when I was in Bangkok one time. He was like, oh, yeah, my girlfriend's just in town for the weekend. Or for the week or weekend? For the weekend. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Why? She's like, well, is She just has to go back to, uh, you know, take care of her family. And this guy's like, but this girl, this girl, she's real. Oh, no. She's genuine. She's not like these other girls. I'm like, no, dude, that sounds pretty textbook. Uh, she's taking you for a ride, um, literally and figuratively. Yeah. Uh, you're paying for the tickets. She, you gave her money to take care of the family. Turn, I think she had like four kids, and probably was still married. Um, I, I, I wonder if the guys, if these women are still married and the men know what's going on, that's always sort of been my question that I've never been able to sort of understand that doesn't, that doesn't happen here in China. Like if you, if you meet a woman here, chances are she's not married uh, or she is married. Like if she's married, then she basically won't deal with you. Uh, But in Southeast Asia, it was Mm -hmm. married. Women would go to the big cities like Bangkok or Chiang Mai or Phnom Penh, wherever it was, and they would find the foreigner who was sitting in the bar drinking and they would hook up, but that was a weekend job for these women. And then on Sunday night or Monday morning, they'd fly back to their small town and take up the, you know, the mantle of housewife basically.
2: Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. uh, Yeah, I've, I've heard that in Southeast Asia as well too, like happens all the time. Um, I would say the only person I talked to through any of these dating apps, which I know was genuine because we were, we talked on the phone a few times was a girl from China, but she was here in Winnipeg. Nothing came of it. It was a very nice girl, but she was here trying to get her permanent resident card. Yeah. And um, like, I think she was, you know, looking for a job at the time, but uh, it was like, you know, Oh, I worked for a real estate company in China you know, I'm here and trying to make a life for myself, you know? So that's like,
0: was she an accountant by chance? She, a lot of, um, women are accountants or a lot mm. of people I should not. There are a lot of women who are accountants, but that seems to be the popular job these days in China is that they're accountants.
2: Yeah. It could have been a receptionist or something along those lines or mm-hmm. a, some kind of administrative job. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the only time I've actually, and we talked a few times on the phone, like say nothing ever came of it. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's like uh, the difference between like, I think you have to ask those questions, like simple questions, like, do you have a job you go to? <laughs> you know, why do you want to move to Winnipeg? Where is that house in downtown Winnipeg?
0: <laughs> you can just see the guy quickly Googling Winnipeg downtown. Oh, shit, there's no houses in downtown Winnipeg. Quick, abort. Abort.
2: Yeah. Oh, um, I meant apartment. I meant condo. Right. They're building condos there, right? Yeah.
0: My parents those are lots buying of those. a condo there. Yeah, they got to update the yeah. script. That's that's the big thing. I guess the exchange is being um, remodeled to a lot of uh, condos now. These high, high-priced apartments and condos.
2: Uh, mostly condos. Um, not as bad as Toronto. I don't know if you've been to Toronto recently, but it's like not recently.
0: condo city over there. Like, that's a-
2: like eyesores
0: basically. It's a good thing though that the the exchange is sort of being revitalized uh, in with some people who have money and not just like uh, holding on to that heritage. Like they're re- they're renovating. They're not tearing down a lot of the buildings. They're renovating the old structures uh, because they're they were structurally sound. Uh, just that the insides had been sort of left to deteriorate over time, and that's what they're remodeling. At least that's my recollection of what was happening downtown. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I, ha- I have a friend who. Uh... Like works on the bigger kind of the big budget movies from Toronto, or we went to film school with him. But he's been here a few times, and I know they've put him up uh, in those condos, uh, like in the Exchange District. So, I, you know, I think people are. It's weird because, you know, our downtown is still not as revitalized as it probably should be. Um, yeah. <laughs> I when I was I moved. I moved from where I was living originally a few times. I mean, obviously, you know, life changes. But I was looking for an apartment a few years ago. And I looked at downtown. And it was just like, and uh, Place Louis Riel, they've, they've renovated that into an apartment block, right? Right, okay. And it's like really like high scale and nice. But get into the rooms itself and they just repurposed old hotel, old hotel rooms. It's like, who the fuck wants to live in this?
0: Really? So it's not, it's not any yes. better or what?
2: Well, okay, you know, like you walk into a hotel, like you walk into a hotel room and um, this is like the way they're designed. Yep. It was like that. It was like, and they kind of put like a counter and a kitchen there, but it felt really forced <laughs> in like, it just, ah. so I ended up, um, uh, you know, getting an apartment close to the Grand Park, which is a nice area. Um, and yeah, it was, I'm, I'm still there, probably move at some point. But uh, yeah, it was just like, and then it was like uh, parking was a giant pain in the ass. And I looked at other cheaper apartments and it was still like, you know, one place I looked at, it was like, yeah, okay. Rate was pretty fair. It's like, uh, yeah, you know, we don't have any parking spots. You'll have to park on the street if you want to live here. Okay. And like, (laughs) you know, downtown, is like a pain in the ass to park in. So I was like, Good luck finding parking. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, you know, uh, uh, with my friend from China, I'll just park in her parents' house. I guess so. The downtown house, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, the uh, I don't think. What what, what is the uh, the rent in downtown Winnipeg now? Do you know?
2: Um, I'd say you're looking at probably one bedroom, parking, and stuff included, around eleven hundred or so.
0: Eleven hundred. Okay, that's Canadian. Times that by five, that would be the can uh, the Chinese equivalent. I pay roughly that as well. 54 square meters, I think. Uh, so yeah, 6,800 RMB, which is about 1,300 Canadian, 1,200 Canadian.
2: Yeah, so that's what you'd be paying an apartment about here. I mean, but if you go outside of downtown, for whatever reason, it's cheaper. Um, depending on what area you're in, like the north end would be cheaper than where I am probably. So.
0: Yeah, but the, the Grand Park area is nice. I mean, it's a bit... I, I would say it's a bit bland. The uh, the apartment blocks are a bit bland there, but they're functional and they were good value from what I could tell when I was looking for apartments in Winnipeg. Although I just never moved out. I'm like, nah, I, I'd rather spend the money on a plane ticket and get out of here sort of thing.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, I like the area. It's everything's on a walking distance. It's great. Um, yeah, close to everything, so.
0: When well, Grant Park Mall but, is there, uh, I mean, it's that then that mall's gotten a lot yeah, better uh, too over time.
2: Yeah, it's pretty decent. I mean, like, I mean, I can't now, but I'd like going to if there's like a movie, like usually on a Good Friday or these kind of holiday days, I would um, go see a movie. Yeah. Like, but I can't right now, unfortunately. <laughs> it's one thing I really like is just the ability to go see a movie in a theater.
0: Is Winnipeg still locked down? Because I'm hearing this, like Canada's going into a third lockdown and I'm, I'm going, I'm looking outside of China, like people are back to, like this weekend is a, 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 a holiday. It's the tomb, tomb sweeping festival. So uh, a lot of them go out to their, uh, the cemeteries and they clean up the cemeteries for their ancestors. But I okay. mean, other than that, it's, uh, things are open. Like The weirdest thing about this whole pandemic is that the expat bars here in Beijing never really shut down. So if I want to go for a beer, I could go for a beer. I could go for a burger at any time over the last 15 months. It's never been an issue. The only issue Uh was, was money. Basically I had to wear a mask, uh, do the app tracing. Okay. The government knows all my information anyway. And then, but it was money. That was sort of the thing. Like, cause if we didn't, work we didn't get paid and as the pandemic lengthened that sort of became more of an issue but i mean expat bars expat life if you wanted a burger you wanted a wrap if you want to order steaks it was all open business as usual throughout throughout the whole thing
2: interesting um it depends here in canada on the province um so in ontario they are doing another lockdown you know, they say they're fairly locked down here in uh, Manitoba, but I mean, maybe it's just a sign I never really had much of a social life before the <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> Nothing rich has really changed. Um, you know, I don't go to the bars. I don't do any of that shit, right? So I mean, I miss going to the gym. I miss going to see movies in the theater. I don't have that right now. I don't know when that's going to happen. And for a business that has kind of boned us a few times, like we had like screenings lined up with some of the theaters here and like nah just you know lockdown sorry yeah. um some like unique screenings too um like the one punk rock documentary The like garrick's got this like uh, did you concerts there now yeah but the guy was like looking to kind of like oh it's like a music thing so you could figure something out and i was super excited that didn't happen which is you know one of the bad things about this pandemic But, uh, yeah, here in Manitoba, um, how is it, like, um, restaurants are open for takeout and delivery. You can dine in, but only with members of your own household. Um, You can only visit, I think, two people, and they have to be designated. So I just see my parents. It's the only people I visit. Um, Like, I can... You can visit people outside. So I'm gonna visit my sister tomorrow and we're gonna take her dog for a walk right. outside. Okay. So I can see my sister and you know, like you know, see her during Easter weekend. Um you know, most places require masks. That yeah. goes without saying. Um, if the business is essential, are they open? Um, but yeah, it's a weird thing because you know what happens with these lockdowns is uh, businesses, I think, rightfully so, uh, make an issue because they need to earn a living, and uh, it, it just kind of goes back and forth. So, and there's these variants that are coming in too, right? So, part of me is like, you know, why is all this travel still going on,
0: right? What Which, what's what travel? Um, like, this Winnipeg's never really struck me as a big travel uh, in and out. Yeah, like, no, out no, I'm not
2: saying that, but just like. Like, why am I seeing Expedia advertise like vacation packages? It's like, Uh. (laughs) can't you guys fucking wait? (laughs) You know, like, why is WestJet selling me sales by email? It's like, I'm not going anywhere. Piss off.
0: Yeah, you know, and I heard this is the uh, I've heard this before, where um, people are upset with politicians for traveling. I took a flight uh, last week, and it was packed, Mm -hmm. all seats sold. Were we, we traveling within
1: China? Within, within
0: China, yeah. So from uh, yeah, Beijing yeah. to Changchun and then Changchun to Beijing. Changchun's in the northeast uh, area of um, uh, China, closer to Russia. And, I mean, mm-hmm. both flights, there and back, were packed. And no no one-meter distancing. I mean, the one thing oh. the, uh, at, the, at the gate, they gave you a little squirt of foam on your hand like antiseptic. I'm like, okay, so right, right. all right. So now I'm going to go touch everything else that hasn't been disinfected. <laughs> but I mean my my, my question is like, did you disinfect the tables properly now or have you still not started yeah. doing that or the little pocket in front uh, you know in the seats like have you disinfected that because those are where the germs reside not so much on my my hands at the moment. Uh but yeah, it's been
2: disinfected I mean, it like five times since probably.
0: Yeah, uh but it's the flights are full, the airpa- airports are packed, the subway during rush hour is packed. Uh, so, any sort of there's no social distancing. I mean, there is in name, but in practice, you're not stopping people from getting into the crowd and going to work here. It, I, I, yeah, it's happening
2: well. It- it's interesting because I would imagine where you are is fairly densely populated here in Winnipeg. We're not, you know, you, you, you know what, like walking downtown Winnipeg is like, right, right. It's like,
0: I tell people once in a while. Could, yeah. You could spin down downtown with your arms out to the side and not hit anybody basically.
2: Oh yeah. 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 You could, Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's so not densely populated here for one thing. So you're probably, uh, dealing with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of lockdown here, it's like, I, I don't know if we go into another one I, and with this travel, I think it's like there were these variants in from the UK. So dollars to donuts, there was some business traveler who probably didn't need to travel, but, or, you know, insisted or some travelers that well, I need to travel for whatever bullshit reason, probably didn't need to bought it, spread it around everywhere. Where it's like, it's so impossible control, and uh, I'm one of these people that, you know, I, I believe in the science, I'm following the kind of things to do, um, and again, I'm not like a young kid, so I'm not going out to parties or anything like this. Right. But, you know, there's just people with all this, like, bullshit, and you know, kind of uh, I want to say ruining it for the rest of us, but I think what they're doing is prolonging Uh, This whole thing—I mean—and it's impossible for everyone to be like, you know, one person to say, "Okay, everyone, shut the fuck up and listen." Yeah, and do this. No one is going to listen or do that, right? That's the issue.
0: Which is kind of funny because here in China, um, as much as people criticize the government for various other reasons, the government said, "Shut the fuck up and listen." People just okay. There was no real. There wasn't any sort of pushback. Uh, if huh. there's one thing, uh, there might have been pushback, depends on what the media would say. Uh, if you could find some of that media, maybe you can't. Uh, but uh, basically, it was everybody went, once the government mandated masks, everybody it's not like no one had a mask, it, it was everyone has a mask here because Beijing is one of the most polluted cities to live in, China is one of the most polluted countries right, to right. live in. Right, right, right. But it wasn't almost hey, put on a mask because you'll die from the coronavirus. It's like, oh, just make sure you wear your mask all the time now because in addition to the pollution, there's the coronavirus that's going around. So, I mean, for health and sanitary reasons as well. The one thing that was a big change is that nowadays they have hand sanitizer everywhere, whereas they didn't have that before. Right. right. There's a lot more soap that's prevalent, although hand, sanit- mm-hmm. hand sanitizer is much more prevalent than uh, than soap um but yeah i mean you're talking like beijing is a city of 30 million people right it's all of canada in one city and that they've stamped it out i don't i kind of have my questions about how and why that happened um when yeah well it's interesting if you say
2: (laughs) the people like actually shut up and listen because i think the problem here is first of all we're so close to america and i say there's a lot of grifters a lot of back that bad actors peddling like um, you know, whether it be the masks are dangerous, which is stupid, uh, yeah. uh, it's a piece of cloth on your face, or vaccines don't work, or whatever the case might be. And like, I think Alex Jones is a good example, <laughs> one of these kind of grifters, <laughs> right? He's like the guy's like the biggest sellout in the world, in my opinion. Because I used to listen to Coast to Coast, and he yeah. was like a regular guest like, 10 years ago. And um, yeah, he just became a seller over time, selling his like snake oil products and bullshit. So you have a lot of those kind of people who are are just like grifters and they're using it to like sell whatever bullshit they're trying to peddle. Um, and then, you know, there's people that are impressionable, unfortunately, that believe that. And, uh, you know, they'll end up, you know, having a family dinner and then it spreads right. and then it spreads to other people in the family and so on and so forth. And it's so... You know, it's interesting because uh, it reminds me of the George A. Romero uh, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead movies. Yeah. And just kind of like those were like a satire of America, right? Or just deciding America at the time and how uh, it mirrors those in that there was always like somebody in the group who was like just a complete opportunistic asshole who basically got everybody killed by the zombies Yeah, <laughs> because you know their way was the right way. And this is what these people are like. It's like, you know, there's a group going around in Canada. This is so stupid. And I really try to ignore it because I think the more I can push away and ignore it and not give these people attention or time, they, the better. And not that they're going away entirely, but if you don't give them a microphone or a megaphone, their numbers will dwindle. That's what I believe. But there's this group going around in Canada called Hugs Over Masks.
0: Uh, I've heard, yeah, they're on the CBC recently. I think, yeah, yeah, I've heard. Yeah, you
2: might have seen the piece. And it's just like they they start these protests about how masks are bad for you and uh, you know all this nonsense. It's just like it's so dangerous, and these people are very unreasonable. so You can't talk to them. But in Manitoba or Winnipeg specifically, there's a very specific example of uh, a few business owners here in Winnipeg who are anti-mask and they've made it known. Right. And they've just become like big fools. And one of them uh, got arrested recently for a mask violation, which is just so pathetic. And this is somebody who has young kids. And this is somebody who also believes the earth is flat. Like, Yeah, I don't even know what to say to that because I know that you can't have a conversation with this person because they're so deluded in their beliefs that, you know, what do you do? I mean, they didn't listen. They didn't, whatever the mask violation was, you know, I mean, the government has to come and I think do the right thing and whatever it was, write them a ticket or serve them with jail time.
0: Which is, you know, it's weird and it sounds um, shocking to hear someone gets arrested for a mask infraction. And then I think of like what, what would happen here in China. First of all, I didn't see many people not wearing masks. So that was never an issue. But then there were news reports specifically of foreigners never identifying their nationality but the foreigner who would refuse to wear a mask. And usually, I mean, they would have a video like on TikTok or whatever, on WeChat. Um, and they would be showing this, this belligerent foreigner who's just going, the mask don't work. You can't tell me what to do. You know, that sort of grandstanding that happens. And it's not necessarily mm-hmm. it was American. It could have been anyone. I, I don't know where these people came from. but. I kind of look at those people and go, these aren't people I'd want around me anyway. I mean, <laughs> these don't seem like they're good people anyway. But yeah, yeah. they, I guess, they did get arrested. Uh, but th- oh, it's so bizarre. The uh, the the police officers—they're not—they're not really police officers. Uh, they're the, the on. They're the on They're called they're guards basically. They're so cute. They're y- young, and I don't mean like sexually cute. I mean like it's they are they're young. They're from the country. Um, they are not big city, uh, you know, uh, uh when you said, you guys have
2: an image of these
0: policemen with like big anime eyes walking around. Well, that's the, that's on the poster, right? Like in, in Canada, <laughs> when you have a police officer on a poster, it's usually a guy and a girl crossed arm. They're looking kind of stern, right? Well here, yeah, they're they very
2: have- muscular, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Here they have bubbly little f- cute faces, the uh, you know, uh, oh, what was those uh not the cabbage patch dolls, but there is like these little uh round figurines they used to have, and you could change up oh, the heads. Beanie babies stuff. not beanie babies before beanie babies. Yeah. Um, but they these, these cute little figures, manga characters basically, right? Cute little right, adorable right, right. for kids. That's on the posters. Now, if you look at them in real life, the policemen, although they are they're cut, usually they're very, um, like muscular because they have, their training regimen is a little bit stricter than what other, uh, countries have for their police forces, but they don't have guns. Um, typically their English isn't very good. Uh, and if they are a police officer, that means they at least have some education, which also means that they're not just from the country, um, and don't know how to deal with their emotions. S- so they're, what, what can they do? They radio to another car. The car comes by, and basically it's a lot of talking. There's no guns. There's no violence. I mean, as far as I can tell. Not as far as I can tell. Right, now, right. that's Beijing. This is my little world that I've seen walking around my, my, my community uh, around Beijing for the last 15 months. But the videos of foreigners getting arrested, it's never... There are no pistols drawn. There's no one getting beaten i mean it's the military isn't getting called in it's eventually actually i'm not even sure how those foreign i think they just get tired um or they sober up or they pass out one of the two i'm not sure
2: (laughs) yeah interesting well yeah i mean um who knows um those people annoy me as i think they annoy a lot of other people i've known people I see them post on Facebook just that maybe they lost a loved one due to COVID or weren't able to visit a relative because of the restrictions. And, you know, that's really shitty for those people that uh, they have to experience that. And uh, it's just like these people don't have any sense of empathy. They're very um, self-indulgent, self-involved. And I mean, you know, how do you deal with it, right? It's like one of these things. It's very frustrating and feels like their stupidity and their ignorance is just prolonging us at the end of the day and refusal to listen to the science.
0: So, how long do you think this is going to last for?
2: Um, well, okay. Uh, people are getting vaccinated here in Manitoba. My parents are getting vaccinated in a few, in like I think my mom was this week and my dad's next week, or vice versa. Uh, the first shot, I think people. In most nations, I mean, every nation is different, right? Some are doing better than others. And I don't think it matters if they're a developed nation or not. But I think here in Canada, I think towards the end of the year, people will all be vaccinated. That's my guess.
0: So 2022, Um, life returns to normal.
2: Yeah, not right away. I'm going to say it's probably like spring sometime. You know, it's going to be another year for sure.
0: Oh, wow, um, a year.
2: so
0: I, what's gonna could happen be, this summer?
2: <laughs> yeah, who knows? I mean, it could prolong for another two years if people oh, don't listen. I think, don't say that. I think, yeah, no, I just think that's the reality because there's also this thing of the people we're talking about who you know, these anti vaxxers, which is like a huge problem on to itself. Um, so I'm thinking another year for sure. Um, And then when it ends, I think there's going to be, like, I I know with SARS and that happened in the 2000s, I think people from Asian countries, like, you know, even before the pandemic, you would see uh, people of Asian descent wearing masks, right? Because it just affected them. So I think you're going to see us, us Europeans uh, or North Americans or people of European descent, you're going to see more of us kind of after this is done still kind of wearing masks now.
0: Um, oh, so a new trend has started. Trend or culture?
2: No, I just think it's a cultural shift. I don't know what you would call it. Just that um, people are like, okay. Um, I know for me, it's like, you know, if I want to minimize my chance of contracting a cold or flu from somebody, I'll put my mask on in the winter. You know, things like that. I mean, yeah. just like, you know, I, I think that'll happen. Um, and I don't think it's one of these things where uh, things are going to return to normal. I know when there was the Spanish flu, when that ended, it was two years. So that's on track for two years for this as well, too.
0: Yeah, that um, seems what, what it's going to be like. Although you'd, say, you'd sort of imagine that the Spanish flu was, you know, different times, not modern medicine. Why is it taking so long yeah. these days? I mean, is it it's more people? We're more connected than we were before, although that was a world war that was happening at that time.
2: Yeah, that's true. I well, more bullshit being spread, more misinformation being spread, I think is part of the problem of this time too. More um you know, look at these politicians that, you know, here in Canada, if it's a conservative political party, they're they're tending to I shouldn't say that. I in Manitoba, I think the vaccine rollout is, I mean, going as well as it possibly could be. It's not as fast as I think people would like it to be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think other provinces are doing better than others. So I, I shouldn't say it's like, well, so this government's doing better than the others. <laughs> I don't really know. I'm not that knowledgeable to say for sure.
0: I'm sure someone um, has done a study about it.
2: But I, I will notice this in the States, uh it's particularly in florida which is like you know you hear things about florida uh it, it's just like they don't give a shit anymore it's like you know like the spring breakers were there recently
3: oh yeah, yeah right.
2: Um, yeah like and then texas is just like yeah fuck it we're not wearing masks anymore so you know you you're, you're dealing with like different perspectives of and i don't want to say one's right or the other it's like businesses get frustrated so you gotta keep the economy going um but you gotta keep people safe and not you know kill out the entire population yeah so it's like these two kind of things butting heads with each other and trying to find a common ground which is not um very very difficult
0: to do (laughs) yeah all right well uh it's been good talking to you. I think we'll leave it there. Um, yeah. If people want to find you, where can they do this? I have your uh, website, but uh, what, what are your details for people to track you down? Well, with my
2: Chinese girlfriend, uh, I'm living uh, at her house in downtown Winnipeg at the moment. <laughs> okay. That her parents got for her. No, um, you know, if I, it's the plug for myself. Um, Zelkoentertainment.com. Go there um if you know they're all canadian movies of varying genres um so take a look see what's of interest to you um we do market kind of as you would say business to consumer um so you know if you saw a movie you liked it um you know share that with us on we're on all the social media platforms even tiktok wow um all the big ones i should say you know there's tons of social media platforms on it But yeah, definitely let us know. Um, we like to have that feedback. Uh, Let us know where you watched the film, uh, what you liked about the film. Um, And, you know, hopefully as we continue to kind of build it, you know, maybe we'll have more titles that might be of interest to you. Um, So definitely just, yeah, I mean, we want to be interactive with the people that watch our films. So let us know if you watched it. Uh, And if you're a Canadian filmmaker, you know, it's not hard to find us. You guys have found us already quite handily, quite easily. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, and uh, I don't want to say, you know, this is my favorite film in the catalog. I think you uh, just go to the website, see what's there, see what you enjoy. Um, and always, you know, uh, sign up for a newsletter. Uh, we're constantly updating stuff there. And uh, yeah, and I mean, hopefully when things return to normal, we'll have some more screenings, theatrical for some of our titles. We're hoping to expand our physical media products and uh, if you are a collector of movies um, you know you can buy them from us directly. generally so
0: cheers all right good uh in terms of uh favorite movies i won't say favorite movie but if people want a connection between me and this and zelco entertainment bunky blum and the talking train that was the movie that i worked on for two days i think um, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, that was a while ago. I remember that. I remember working in one of the parks in the North End. I can't remember which one it was. Uh, oh, probably, yeah, in Transcona probably. Yeah, Transcona. Yeah. And I remember chocolate. Yeah. I, that's where I was introduced to chocolate chip frappuccinos from Starbucks because that's what uh, oh. one of the 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 grips was buying for other people. Julian, I think you remember Julian. Um, oh, the, the bigger, yeah, yeah, yeah. Julian, yeah, first, 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 yeah. Uh, So uh, he he was buying chocolate chip frappuccinos. I think a chocolate chip. Half whatever it was, anyway, uh, but yeah, that was the big thing. So that's diabetes the movie.
2: basically is fine. Diabetes, Here's yeah, diabetes. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: But that was the movie that I worked on, uh, that you guys have um listed on there as well. So, all right, yeah, yeah, um, cool, man. Cheers, thank you very much, Dave. Uh, it's it a pleasure talking oh, to pleasure you, pleasure seeing you again. I hope things uh work oh, out with good. the whole pandemic and that the uh, business uh keeps improving over the next well, you got another eight months to uh, it perfect your social media game during the pandemic.
2: <laughs> yeah, or just our marketing game in general. Absolutely. Well, you know, if I'm ever in China, uh, my sister actually went there a few years ago with her husband. Uh, she likes to sew. Yeah. And uh, make clothes and stuff. So it was very interesting to her. But yeah, definitely if I'm ever in China, I'll have to visit you. Um, and you can set me up with some nice ladies
0: there, I'm sure. I probably could. Just let me know.
2: Okay. Just as so long as they have a house in downtown Winnipeg.
0: Well, that, that one might be difficult uh, as soon as they learn about <laughs> the house situation in downtown Winnipeg. All right. Thanks a lot, Dave. Talk again. All right. Thank you. Take <laughs> care. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. So that was episode number 22 of my podcast. Thank you very much for joining me. I hope you guys enjoyed that uh, conversation with uh, Dave Zellis of uh, Zelco Entertainment. Uh, we've known each other quite a while, uh, and kept in touch over the years, um, as a Winnipeg based producer and filmmaker, uh, he's, uh, certainly, and mostly from the, uh, micro budget to low budget filmmaking side of things. He's very helpful, very uh, knowledgeable in that area. Get in touch with him, go to the website, check out what they have to offer. Uh, there are some micro budget options, but also some larger budget budget options that you could uh, take a look at. If you got some time to kill or if you're looking to expand uh, your horizons as a uh, uh, a film buff or you got something, you, you need something to do uh, this weekend or uh, anytime you want to support some local filmmakers. Righto, thanks a lot. Uh, I will have all the show notes on my website, stevensterski.com. Thanks for joining me. We'll talk again. Bye-bye.